Stop it! Don't open that door! Welcome to episode 23 of the Masters of Unlocking podcast. This is a different kind of podcast. One of us, of the two of us, is an author, a YouTuber, and a game lover, and the other is a collector and recovering game store owner. That's a 12-step program I wouldn't mind being a part of, to be honest. I am Caleb J. Ross. I am the author, YouTuber, and game lover, and with me is VG Collectaholic, the guy who's addicted to uh, uh, video game stores. No, I think I messed that up. Anyway, we delve into the business, economics, and psychology of video games, and it's those that last three Oxford comma series there that basically what makes us unique, um, we think anyway. If there's another podcast out there that delves into those three things and only those three things, then let us know because I'd like to show up on their doorstep and not fight them, I guess, because that that would not go well. I'm sorry, I'm not going to be a good uh, wingman in any sort of battle, uh, but maybe we can have like a cup of coffee and just chat about our shared interests. That seems like a new thing we could do in this world of constant tension. Uh, today is a very special episode, as all of them are, um, because it's Fiji Collect Hawk and myself. Of course, it's going to be special. But today it's extra special because we are going to be doing an E3 roundup. Um, E3 was just about a week ago, or actually, I guess it's technically still kind of just ending now. Um, but the presentations, uh, the E3 presentations, which happened last weekend, uh, we want to talk a little bit about those. We want to talk about our takeaways. Um, so we're going to be dedicating the entire episode to that. Normally, the format would be that we talk about a few news items and then have a main event that we spend a little bit more time on. All of it is main event this time. Uh, how are you doing, VG Collectaholic Scott? I am doing quite well, thank you, sir. I feel like with the whole episode being the main event, we really should have gotten Howard Finkel to come down and like ring announce this thing, or Michael Buffer <laughs> do his like "Let's get ready to rumble" thing. Up, oh, copyright strike. Ooh, bam. <laughs> or we should have not called it the main event and just called it the event. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Because the yeah. the somewhat lackluster event. <laughs> Yeah, we are probably a little late to most of the E3 stuff. Man, E3 stuff just it's li- it's all about live commentary now and that I think that's that's the trend that makes me realize I could never do this YouTube thing for a living because everybody, man, it's got to be the second of in order to like get any sort of traction and I couldn't do that. I like to step back and think through things. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that's what we're going to be doing here. Thinking has no place in American society today, Caleb. <laughs> we are right. all about immediate gratification, instant results, Usually instant poor results, but hey, <laughs> instant results nonetheless. Yeah, you're right. It's sad. Hey, you're right. Speaking of instant results, what have you been playing? What have you been instantly putting <laughs> into your veins, your digital veins? Oh, man, I've been playing. I've been I, I don't know if I mentioned it last time. Um, Axiom Verge, it's the Cartridge Club uh, Prime game. I know I did. I did mention it for I know for a fact I did. But uh, so I'm, I'm still playing Axiom Verge. I'm about 10 hours, 12 hours into it, I think. Um, and that seems to be about the time when most people are completing the game. Um, however, I am uh, definitely averse to a difficult game, so I'm, f- I'm, I'm finding every single power-up, doing everything, exploring everything so that I can be overpowered for the boss fights. Um, but I'm actually really, 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 really liking it. Like, it could potentially be one of the best games I've played this year. Um, I was not thinking it would be, but man, it just ha- it oozes charm. It has so much... It's just a great 
fantastic Metroidvania 2D platformer kind of game. Um, so I'm definitely still enjoying that, playing that. Probably will complete that maybe this weekend, I think. Um, and that's a game I'm, t- I'm playing as I take a break from Bioshock. I know we played before, or stated before, that we're playing the Bioshock series. Um, I think I'm about finished with the first Bioshock, so when I go back into it, I probably won't have too much more time to play it, or too much more time to put into it. Um, but yeah, Axiom Verge is really, really fun. So what about you? I have been playing, actually, I've been playing something this time. Which is... That's different. Yeah, new and exciting. New and exciting. Uh, I've been playing Pillars of Eternity. Pillars of Eternity was a computer-style RPG that was originally kickstarted and funded on Kickstarter to get up and off the ground by Obsidian Entertainment, who did Fallout New Vegas and South Park Stick of Truth. Um, So they partnered with Paradox Interactive to, to make Pillars of Eternity. And Pillars of Eternity really reminds me a lot of, like, if you ever played the, like, Baldur's Gate or Icewind Dale series on computer. Uh, it's a party-based RPG. You start out as just, you know, one your one main character. And as you go through the, the game, you add other characters to your party. Or you can add other characters to your party. You could just go through and solo it, I suppose. Because um, you can actually reject characters joining your party. But you've got sort of your typical fantasy tropes. You've got your mages, your rogues, your fighters and paladins and that sort of thing. And I'm probably about... 15-ish hours into the game now, um, which is just sort of scratching the surface. I haven't gotten a single trophy yet for like progress in the main story, and so that I've been just going and side questing and and running around. And you, there's a mechanic in it where you can build your own keep, and then you you've got sort of a building mechanic in there and a and a fortress defense mechanic built in. Uh, so far, really well done. It's been quite nicely adapted from PC to console play mechanic because I'm playing it on PlayStation 4. Uh, and I w- I'm always hesitant when a computer role-playing game gets ported to console because you, you just never know how that control scheme is going to work. We've talked a couple of times in the past on how well Blizzard did with Diablo 3, mm-hmm. the port to to PS4 and, and PS3. But uh, this one, not quite that level of of quality port but still plays extremely well it's not turn-based the combat in it isn't turn-based like it is in Baldur's Gate Icewind Dale but it does have sort of a, a mechanic where you can pause it and tell each one of your party members what you want them to do what kind of strategy what kind of spell you want them to cast or you can just auto it and, and have them go about their way but so far, having a blast with it. Definitely recommend it if, if anybody is interested in the kind of computer RPG style genre. Nice. And I think uh, that game uh, is one of the chapters. One of the chapters in the book Blood, Sweat, and Pixels by Jason Schreier is dedicated to Pillars of Eternity. Um, which is, so, so if you're interested in that whole creation story and everything and the, the development behind the game, absolutely check out that book. Um, and that chapter specifically, but that is also the book that has um, that tells the story of the Diablo three port to consoles. So buy that book, and you'll sort of get both ends of that uh, of that whole story. So nice, it's a very good book, very good book, highly recommended. So nice, have to have to do that. Yeah. So what kind of pickups have you had? That's you. This is usually your you you own this area. Uh, so definitely tell us about all the pickups you've had over the last couple of weeks. I do. I am definitely the hoarder of the two of us. Um, <laughs> so I definitely have been ramping up the pickups now that I've get getting a little bit more time to um, 
where I'm not spending all my waking hours at work, which is nice. So last episode, I talked about how I had really gone a long way in, in nearly completing the Xbox set, the original Xbox set, and that there was really only one game left that was not one of the just the dime a dozen type fillers that I needed. And so I did manage to get a great deal on that. Um, I mentioned that I was just anal retentively holding out for a good deal, and I managed to pick it up for about half its going rate, and that is Digimon Rumble Arena 2. And so that was the the last game in the Xbox library that's more than like a $5, you know, cheapie that I needed. So now I think nice. I'm down to like uh, 45 games, I think, left for the set. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I am I should be able to complete that set this, this year. I think... Um, if not, if I don't complete it just locally by picking up stuff at you know, the the local game store where I do the buy two get one free, uh, I may complete it by going to Retro World Expo here in Connecticut. I think is in October or September, sometime around then. So you might be able to do some game hunting in uh, Chicago as well uh, when you go up there for that. Very true. Very true. I'm not Doing sure what the... kind of stores they have there, but I'm sure there's sure there's some fun ones to poke around at. Oh yeah, I think we were the Cartridge Club folks who are all attending the Cartridge Con in Chicago here at the end of July. We were just planning the the trip over Twitter this past week and discussing some of the things that we're going to do and going um Thrifting and game store browsing is is on the list. There was some talk of possibly doing some kind of a you know twenty dollar challenge where everybody gets twenty bucks and and you can spend it however you want and at the end we compare and see what people got. So nice. Are you going to base that off of like the Metacritic score or how are you going to see who, how are you going to determine the winner? Do you know? I I'm not sure. We haven't really discussed that yet. It might if it's going to be you know, based on rating score or if it's going to be based on best value or if it's going to be just based on weirdest shit that we found who knows (laughs) Uh, there may be a bit of maybe components of all three of those but definitely looking forward to getting to hang out with some of the cartridge club members again had a great time uh hanging out with them in milwaukee at the uh classic gaming um what the heck is it called? The Midwest Gaming Mid- Classic, right? That, yes, that's it. The Midwest Yay. Gaming Classic. Well done. I helped. Well done. <laughs> yeah, it was great getting to to hang out with folks like Mighty Q Dog and, and Musty Hobbit and Julie and Vega and just all kinds of uh, awesome folks. I'm going to stop listing people because I know I'll just forget a bunch of people. So, <laughs> yeah, but but you've said loud and clear the most important people that you remember. So, <laughs> and way to go there, Scott. You know, noticeably noticeably omitted from the list, of course, was Caleb J. Ross. <sighs> and I'll be noticeably omitted from the next list of Shakartridge Con members, unfortunately. Uh-huh, but uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah, I'm a little sad about that. Maybe maybe one of those days I can sort of. Skype in and maybe pretend that I'm on a game hunting trip with people. Ooh, yeah, maybe we can we can make like a paper mache head and put it in like a glass, you know, one of those glass cases like in Futurama and yeah, uh, just carry could, it around. A real life Hey Future Caleb prop. Ooh, I love it. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I get my paper mache skills up and going here. You, they have been lacking. I, I didn't want to tell you that. Like I figured it might you know, make you feel bad, but you really got to work on that. Well, it's, it's tough to make it in the paper mache game these days. The economy is, it's, it's a rough, rough, rough gig. It's very, very, uh, very, very competitive. It is. It is. Um, oddly so. Oddly so. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe here's a, here's a segue to the rest of your pickups. Maybe we can, uh, somehow make me VR. I mean, has the VR world 
come up enough so that I could pretend that I'm there in real life. Ooh, I mean, I... you would know. Have you picked up any VR games that might give you some indication as to where that's going? I have. I have. I've been trying to complete the physical PlayStation VR set, and it's getting harder and harder because I... I wasn't. I was shocked at how much support Sony is throwing behind this. Uh, yeah, they, it's really not a fly-by-night thing for them. It's not just a one-and-done kind of uh, peripheral to just try. They're putting a lot of resources behind it. They announced some more stuff at E3, so I, I'm not sure whether I'll, I'll ever end up with the complete physical set for it. But um, that's not, it's not going to stop me from from trying, you know, because life is all about trying. I, I hope so. If it's not succeeding, I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's brutal. That's brutal. <laughs> Are you counting um, games, uh, non-VR games that, that advertise as having the VR element? So, for example, would Resident Evil 7 be part of your... PSVR complete set, or are you looking at just VR only as part of this set? Yeah, no, I, I'm sort of breaking the set into two. One is the PlayStation VR required segment, and then which is primarily what I'm focusing on. But then there is a subset then, as you mentioned, of games that are enhanced, have a PSVR enhancement mode. Uh, so that's kind of a secondary set that I'd, I would try going for, but mainly focusing on just the PSVR exclusive, you know, the solely released for PlayStation VR. Uh, and so there's, like I said, there's a surprising lot of them. And, and a good number of them that are released digitally only here, so only available on the PlayStation Store, are actually getting physical releases over in Europe. So I'm doing a lot of importing from like companies like Amazon UK, Zavi, Game uh, over in the UK, which is a GameStop-style store. I think they're actually owned by GameStop now, but I don't recall. Um so doing a lot of importing, I some of the most of the games that I have on my list that I just picked up are imports. I uh, picked up Here They Lie, um, which is sort of survival horror e. Picked up Operation Warcade, Super Hot, which is a it's gotten a lot of a acclaim on mm-hmm. you know on the uh, VR scene. Apex Construct, Rick and Morty Virtual Rickality. And a lot of my friends love Rick and Morty. I've never actually seen it, so maybe I have to do some uh, some sleuthing and check out what the heck this show is actually about before I before I try that out. I've been told by a lot of my friends that it's it's a show that I should watch because it's a show that I would absolutely love. Like apparently, it's my kind of humor. But that goes to show how much I respect my friends' opinions because I still haven't seen it yet either. <laughs> <laughs> the Inpatient. And then the last one that I picked up is Paranormal Activity, The Lost Soul. And that one's kind of interesting because it that's a U.S. release. It was released physically here in the States. Uh, it's a Best Buy exclusive, so it was only available at Best Buy stores. And it's a global exclusive, so it hasn't been released huh. physically anywhere else in the world. So a lot of people that are... You know, PSVR collectors, there's quite a few of them in Europe, quite a few of them you know, just overseas in general. They had they they have to be importing this from basically the secondary market because Best Buy doesn't ship internationally. So um, Best Buy actually is clearancing them out right now. So it's ten dollars on BestBuy.com, and then if you get uh, you know it's eight bucks after you take off the twenty percent for Gamers Club Unlocked in its dying days here. So I picked up a few of them. Uh, have a couple on stock. So if you're a PSVR collector, hit me up. Uh, I can hook you up 
uh, if you're overseas and we can maybe do a trade or something. So hit me up on Twitter at VG Collectaholic and we can chat. That does seem like one of those opportunities for, uh, you know, buying a ton of them and uh, having those as trade fodder later on. So yeah, absolutely. And at this, at the dirt cheap price right now, I don't expect them to stick around too terribly long, especially with a, a brand like Paranormal Activity. I think VR is uniquely situated for the horror and survival horror experience experience genre and i think they can do a lot of cool things with vr in that in that world well i mean like things like resident evil paranormal activity here they lie they, it's just uh seems a perfect medium for spooks and scares and that's why i will never ever ever play it <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I, I got scared of Resident Evil Seven and was like, I'm not playing this anymore. I played like the first like 30 minutes. And I'm like, nope, I'm done. It is spooky as hell. I'm, I'm kind of a weenie. I I'm just kind of a weenie. So I'll say, yeah. Um, I actually picked up some stuff this time. I haven't really? picked up some stuff in a while. Um, I did go ahead and, and buy digitally uh, Hellblade: Senua's Sacrifice. It's a game I've been wanting to play for a long time, and what finally prompted me to pick it up. Um, and this may be completely irrational, but uh, this is the way my mind works, is uh, I know Microsoft just bought, or it now owns Ninja Theory, the studio behind Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I worried about sort of the long-term availability of the game, especially on PS4. I don't plan on buying an Xbox anytime soon, so I kind of figured if I wanted it on PS4... uh, you know, now's now's a guaranteed time, whereas in the future, maybe it won't be guaranteed so much. So I went ahead and did that. I, I was I was holding out for a physical copy. Um, it seemed like one of those games that was successful enough that it should get a physical copy at some point. Yep. But it just hasn't yet. So I don't know. Maybe if it ever does get physical, I'll still buy it. But um, but yeah, so I'm a little, I'm actually really looking forward to playing that. I might actually play a little bit of that this weekend, um, even though I just talked about how much I hate scary games and, and that one, from what I hear, especially if you play with headphones, it can kind of be a little off-putting and somewhat scary, not from a horror perspective, but just still from a mind F kind of perspective. So. Yeah, I know Sean, Cartridge Club brother P1, um, really loved Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. I was in the same boat. I've been holding out, really wanting to try it, holding out for a physical copy. But uh, maybe, maybe once the partner or once the Microsoft thing gets more, um, you know, really intertwined there, maybe they'll release a physical copy on Xbox One. Yeah. Um, and then I also did pre-order, uh, which I never pre-order games. Well, hardly ever. Um, I, I am generally not a day one purchaser for any series except Fallout. And so I did go ahead and pre-order Fallout 76. Um, we'll talk about this as we get further on into the into the main or just event. Um, and it's it's I pre-ordered that. Just uh, I wasn't originally going to, um, but the more I heard about it, the more interviews I watched with the creators and everything, I started to think, I'll give it a chance. I'll give it a shot. Uh, I'm not really looking forward to it, but again, we'll get into that a little bit more uh, later on. So I did pre-order Fallout 76, and then I also went ahead and pre-ordered the Spider-Man game, which, to be honest, I wasn't really intending on pre-ordering. I mean, the game looks super fun. I mean, it looks really great, but um, we were talking about the Gamers Club thing, Gamers Club Unlocked yesterday, or last week, uh, or last two weeks, last episode, there we go, I'll just say that. And uh, I talked about how I had only used it on one game. Um, I found that I'd actually used it on more than one game. I just forgot that I had. So I did use it on uh, uh, Shadow of the Colossus, but I also used it when I pre-ordered the Nintendo Labo. So I did get a little bit of uh, of savings there. But I figured I'd go ahead and just... I have it still until 2020, I think, is when mine... um, 
uh, goes away. Nice. Uh, so I went ahead and just did Fallout 76 and Spider-Man. Um, why not? There's also a lot of other games which we'll talk about at e- uh, to when we get to the E3 section that maybe I'll be pushed to pre-order as well, uh, especially if they come out here pretty soon. So yeah, I'm looking forward to all of those. Very cool. I was so bummed on the Fallout 76 release. You know, after after the Bethesda uh, event, which we'll get into here in just a minute, they announced the um, the collector's edition, and of yeah. course, it's it posted in the middle of the night. You know, the the night after it, it was announced, and immediately sold out everywhere. But <laughs> we'll we'll talk a little bit more on why I I want to get one of those so badly here once we get into the main event, which actually segues kind of nicely <laughs> before we get into the oh, main okay. event i do want to mention one other pickup and this was uh, i got via a, a trade a swap with our good friend musty hobbit um i picked up from from musty gunstar heroes on the genesis a good uh good run and gun shooter been itching to play and he had he had but i was getting rid of a bunch of my xbox original xbox duplicates that i'd picked up in my in my scavenging and hoarding and buying giant lots and so musty needed a bunch of those so i traded them to him for uh, gunstar heroes i apologize for uh diverting us you're right i completely hijacked everything when i started talking about the psvr stuff i apologize no that's all right that's all right i just wanted to make sure i i tossed a, a head nod out to musty appreciate uh, appreciate him doing the trade with me He's a good guy. Good he egg. is. He is a good egg and the world's tallest hobbit. <laughs> I have heard. I have heard. <laughs> Speaking of the world's tallest hobbit, no, that's a terrible segue. <laughs> I bet you could find hobbits in West Virginia. You think? I think so. What else do you think would be in West Virginia? I think Bethesda would be in West Virginia. Ah. Almost heaven. West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is all there, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, blowing like the breeze. Country roads, take But when the fighting is stopped and the fallout is settled, you must rebuild. Our future begins. So, as you might be able to tell from that little lovely music clip, we are getting ready to dive into Bethesda's presentation from E3, and we're going to kick things right off with Fallout 76. Fallout 76 coming out November 14th, and uh, they spent quite a bit of time on on giving us more details about this. Obviously, before E3, they gave us a little trailer, a little clip on, on uh, social media, announced it on Twitter, and there was a lot of I guess there was a lot of division among people who were worried that Fallout 76 was going to be kind of a multiplayer only, online only, uh, what exactly that meant for the world of Fallout. But Todd Howard came out, and I'm fairly sure Todd Howard, who's the developer of the Fallout series, 
is also Steve Carell's twin brother. Um, he looks like him. He has his same mannerisms. His vocal delivery is could be dropped right into the office. It's it's very Michael Scott esque. He does have kind of the uh, that that sort of tiny mouth chin thing going yeah, on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But Todd Howard came out and spent a lot of time talking about Fallout seventy six. Went into what uh, what it's going to be like. What what the series actually has in store for us here and in the the prequel to all of the other Fallout games. Caleb, what are your thoughts on Fallout 76? Oh, man. I mean, you, said uh. you, you said you just pre-ordered it, so I assume <laughs> that Todd Howard kind of quelled some of your concerns. You know, last episode, we railed on Fallout 76 pretty hard. Yeah, he he quelled some of the concerns, but it wasn't just him. It was some other things I was, I was I, some other media that I had taken in. Um, I, I, I will say that the primary, the primary motivation for pre-ordering Fallout 76 is because I am a fanboy. Uh, I'm a self-proclaimed fanboy. I, I won't deny that. So it would take a lot to have me completely disavow the entire series or that entire, um, that entire franchise. And this was actually close. This was close to getting me to disavow that. I'm not a fan of, we've talked about it many times before, I'm not a fan of multiplayer. I've really never played an online game except for 37 seconds of Fortnite and genital jousting. Uh, that's really about it. And I'm, so, so I, was, I was very, very hesitant. Um, there was a few things that he said. Every, everything he said, I would almost, if, if I was encouraged by anything he said, I was discouraged by something else he may have said. So for example, he said it can be played solo. That sounds great, but he also said it's entirely online. That's not cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that means I'm gonna have to spend. You know, I, I don't subscribe currently to the to, to PS Plus, but now I'm going to have to do that in order just to play this game, which I'm not a super fan of. Um, I also got a little bit. Uh, I was a little bit more endeared to it by um, a couple of different things. One, NoClip, the uh, YouTube, uh, the kickstarted. It's a it's a company that does kickstarted video game documentaries. And they had one specifically on the development of Fallout 76 that was released, uh, I think, just the day after E3, after the Bethesda uh, presentation at E3. It's about a half an hour, 40 minutes, something around there. And it's a really good documentary, gets into it. So you get a much better feel about what they're trying to go for, which 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 really endeared me to the game a little bit more. I kind of saw what they're trying to do and, and... what they are specifically not trying to do. And this leads into the other piece of information that supported my decision to go ahead and pre-order it. Um, There was an article, uh, an interview with uh, one of the developers um, at GameSpot. um, And this was an interview with, um, I think it was with Pete Hines, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it might have been the interview with Pete. uh, Let me just scanning through here real quick just to make sure it was Pete Hines. I don't want to misquote that at all. There's a giant picture of Pete Hines on the article. So I'm going to assume it was Pete Hines saying this. Um, It's uh, he kind of went through and he addressed very specifically some of the concerns that single player campaign lovers of Bethesda games and Fallout specifically have expressed. And that's important to state because uh, Fallout in Bethesda's hands has been adamantly single player and has avoided multiplayer very, very consciously, uh, which which goes to further show why this is such sort of a, a, a 180 um, from uh, for them. But he got in there and he specifically addressed some of the concerns. Um, there were some concerns about uh, basically people griefing other people. Again, I'm not an online player, so griefing, I believe, is the term for basically when you just try to kill people for the fun of it without actually 
trying to contribute anything to the game. You're just having fun killing people who are trying to go about their day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he, they, they're trying to build in a mechanic so that you cannot be harassed by somebody. His exact quote here was, you can't be harassed by somebody who, keep, who just keeps chasing you around the world and keeps killing you over and over. The game literally doesn't allow that to happen to you. So that right away, I'm like, okay, this seems like more of the kind of game I might really enjoy. He further goes on to say that you don't lose your progression. You don't lose all your stuff. Somebody can't kill you and then take everything in your inventory. Um, and then you have to start over. So that's also really cool. So uh, death is not necessarily a bad thing, which is great. Um, and he, this one's a little bit less focused, but he says the game only lets you go so far before you can basically say, I don't want to participate in this challenge anymore. So that was if, if, if you and a group of people together are trying to accomplish a quest or accomplish a goal, um, it only lets you go so far. And then you it, before you can say that I don't want to kind of be part of this challenge anymore. So there's a certain amount of commitment that is involved, uh, which I think is important. And lastly, I, th- I like the way that he describes uh, one of my earlier points about not having players be able to chase you down after killing you and just keep killing you and keep briefing you. Um, he likens it to, uh, when you kill a death claw in any of the other fallout games. Um, he says, uh, you know, he says that's the way it should kind of, it should work for any human person that the person can't just keep coming after you just like the death claw wouldn't come running across the map and keep chasing you. So it's interesting to see how they're making that blend between, um, between, uh, you know, the, the single player campaign people and the multiplayer campaign people now some of the other things that i'm a little bit still iffy about um they basically said vats uh which is the the vault tech assisted something system uh technical system tactical system something like that basically the first person answer to turn-based strategy mechanics um they said in this game because it's multiplayer there's there's you know that doesn't really work anymore you can't really slow down time and uh, at all because you have other players who depend upon that same timeline. And so they did say that Vault as we know it really won't be included in this game, uh, which is a little heartbreaking because that is really one of the core mechanics that makes Fallout Fallout. Um, so I'm very, I'm still hesitant, even though I pre-ordered, I'm still very, very hesitant. But again, I'm I'm excited for a new Fallout game. I always will be excited for a new Fallout game. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm excited. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. I guess some of the things that Todd Howard said during the presentation also assuaged some of my hesitancy. Again, the the online only thing you know, is sort of puke inducing. But when he he mentioned that each game world, each game instance is going to be populated by dozens of other players, not hundreds or thousands. And he made a, a quip saying it's the apocalypse, not an amusement park. <laughs> yeah, so I think. Be, this combined with what you were just talking about, how there's going to be walls in place to prevent griefing, to prevent you from getting stuck into a world with somebody who's just an asshat, right? Uh-huh. I think I think the the multiplayer, the online component of it can be, um, it sounds more like you can kind of take or leave as much as you want. And the other players in the world that you're in, um, you can almost treat them like NPCs um, is sort of how I took that for rightly or wrongly. That's what I have in my mind right now. And that also then makes me wonder if that's the case. I'm wondering whether you will actually need PlayStation Plus in order to to actually play Fallout 76. If so, that, that that's kind of another another barrier to entry for the game, right? If you have to also subscribe to the 
plus service in order to even play it at all. That's that's well, they did say it's a hundred percent online, and wouldn't don't you essentially have to have PS Plus to even be online? Or, or I, I guess no, I don't. Yeah, believe I guess so. not really. Yeah, because I guess yeah, because you I mean you can watch Netflix from your PlayStation. Yep. technically, and that's online. Yeah, okay. I'm yep. an idiot. Um, but it does. Uh, one of the things they mentioned, though, which, you know, dozens of players sounds cool because it's restrictive. And I think it does sound sound cool that way. But it's also four times the size of Fallout 4. And Fallout 4 wasn't a massive game, but it was pretty big. Mm-hmm. Um, four times the size of that with only dozens of players when in other Fallout games, there probably were, I would dare say, hundreds of NPCs and quest givers and things like that. I fear that the, the environment's going to be pretty sparse. Um, I don't want to say a Sea of Thieves type of sparse, but I anticipate it might be a little sparse. You know, who, who knows? Um, do you but think that's another fear? Do you think that the the other online players are the only people that populate the world? It, or, since it is post-apocalyptic and you're all emerging from the vaults, do you think that nobody else survived? Or I guess I was envisioning in my head, and now that you bring this up, I'm starting to question it, was that you would still have NPCs and that sort of world but then you'd have the the other vault dwellers would sort of be a separate class of of population uh i i wish but todd howard did specifically say that every character you encounter will be a real person really wow so yeah so i'm a little i don't know hmm yeah that is interesting that yeah i i hope it's not like uh um far cry primal where you're just running around and everything you encounter is an animal you know that that was far and away the worst Far Cry I've ever played. Yeah, I appreciate the experiment that they did, but yeah, it's it's not it wasn't very fun. But yeah, I wondered though. The other thing he did mention though was um, the role of the the ghouls in this game. So they said that they were not quite as mentally gone as ghouls we've seen in other games. So they still have the capacity to use guns um, and that sort of thing. So. I wonder then possibly if there's sort of this hybrid between NPC and player where, you know, Todd Howard did say every single person you see is a real person, but he didn't, I don't think, say every single character is a real person. So maybe there are some, like, you know, half-gone ghouls that are giving you quests and things like that, possibly. Um, But I guess we'll see. So are you planning on signing up for the beta, the break-it-early test application? (laughs) Yeah, uh, so there, there's actually a little bit of controversy about that. Um, you're supposed to get a beta code if you pre-order through an, a, a, through an approved retailer, so Best mm-hmm. Buy, Amazon, all those kinds of things. But uh, so far, no one has received that beta code um, at all. And there's a lot of question about how you even get the beta code because it's a little iffy. It's supposed to be sent, they say, in your confirmation email when you pre-order the game. But no one has received it from that. I got uh, mine. Oh, you did get yours. Yeah. Okay. Who? What did you order from? I I ordered it from Amazon, and huh. they they sent like whenever you order from Amazon, if there's a pre order digital bonus, they send you a separate email titled benefit confirmation for your order, and I did receive that. Uh, let's see, on June thirteenth. So that was like, I received that on Wednesday. Let me see when I pre ordered it. I pre ordered it on June eleventh, so I got it two days after pre ordering. Well, good to know. Good to know. I, I did mine through Best Buy, uh, but uh, good to know that it's at least going out there. My fear was that there was some sort of weird miscommunication and that Bethesda was holding things up. And But it sounds like maybe that's my concerns are, are 
pulled back a little bit. So yeah, good, good. good. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely planning on signing up because uh, it, I think the beta will go a long way toward hopefully quelling some of these things. I mean, Todd Howard kind of made a, a quip at their own expense when he said, "Look, we know this is new for all of you. It's new for us. It's a little bit scary." And to that end, we're going to need your help. Because, yes, we are going to have a beta. And it is sponsored by our friends at Vault-Tec as well, the Break It Early test application. Because evidently, these online games are hard. They can have some nasty issues. I... I read on the internet that our games have had a few bugs. <laughs> I did. I read it on the internet, so it's true. And that uh, sometimes it doesn't just work. <laughs> Very self-aware in his, his uh, presentation. <laughs> so moving on from Fallout, uh, well, I guess one other thing to touch on on Fallout, since I did allude to this in the, in the intro was the Power Armor Edition for Fallout. It's a $200 collector's edition that Todd Howard announced at the at the Bethesda event. And the thing... So the Fallout 4 collector's edition came with a Pip-Boy, a wearable Pip-Boy. So they're upping the ante here. This The Power Armor Edition includes a T-51 Power Armor helmet that you can actually wear. It's life-size, and it's got uh, like a voice-modulating thing for to make you sound like you're in a, a power armor helmet. This thing looks badass. And of course, as is the case with all E3 collector and collector edition announcements, it basically stealth dropped overnight and instantly sold out everywhere. Best Buy, Amazon, um, GameStop, everywhere is 100% sold out, so I did not get one. Um, so anybody who's got a pre-order, extra pre-order that they're looking to to get rid of hit me up because this thing looks awesome do you think they will start releasing different pieces of the power armor for every future fallout game so that eventually you'll have a full suit that would be awesome <laughs> you just have your your ready-made cosplay outfit just that would people. be crazy oh man can you imagine though how disappointed the people would be who did not get the helmet which is inarguably the coolest part and they just got like a upper thigh portion <laughs> Great. Fantastic. I got the nut cup. <laughs> I'd go for the nut cup, though. <laughs> Power armor nut cup. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's not too bad. It can, <laughs> it can, it's it's at least better than, like, an Andrew WK performance the, to announce Rage 2. <laughs> I will say, I'm not a, I, I, I am, I won't say I'm an Andrew WK fan, but I appreciate his style of sort of just happy, fun, but hardcore kind of music. Um, I think what drew that performance down, I don't know if it was so much Andrew WK and, and maybe it was, maybe, maybe you're just simply not a fan of, of his music, but the crowd, it, the crowd was just not into it. And so that kind of deflates, there's that juxtaposition between all his energy on stage and the crowd kind of makes it, it puts it into this weird perspective where you're like, wow, this, something's not quite right here. Yeah. It, uh, it was definitely not fun to watch. Yeah. A little awkward, a <laughs> little awkward. Yeah, for sure. A little bit, a little bit. But as for the game, uh, tell us about it. Are you excited about it? Um, Not really. I'm not sure that Rage, to me, doesn't seem like a property that did well enough to even really generate hype for a sequel. 
let alone you know all of the the fallout sorry pun intended <laughs> that that came out when when Walmart Canada you know did their uh their spoiler and the one thing I did enjoy about the rage presentation from Bethesda was Pete Hines came out and he said so we're starting with a game that we announced a few weeks ago through our friends at Walmart Canada <laughs> perhaps best known for their low prices and ability to keep a secret. (laughs) I love that they played with that. They had fun with that for sure. Well played, Mr. Hines. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, as for the game, I don't, there's not, there's not a lot I'm excited about. What, what are, what about you? Um, I'm excited about it in the sense that if it turns out to be what I hope it is, and that's, that means sort of with the, the line of Doom, so the fast-paced line, never-ending action of Doom, meets the post-apocalyptic nature of Fallout with the car mechanics of a, Max, a Mad Max game. Combining all of those things is interesting to me. Now, it does definitely look at first glance as though it's just another post-apocalyptic warfare kind of game, uh, which that alone I'm not too excited about. Mm-hmm. But there's there's something about it that looks like it's just going to be total fun. Um, interestingly enough too, they didn't mention anything about this game being online, but I would think of all of the Bethesda properties, this would be the one that would make the most sense because it looks like it could very well be a battle royale type of game if you Mm -hmm. wanted it to be sure. Just chaos everywhere. Lots of guns shooting. Uh, the other thing I'll say about it is it does have, it's, it's trying to differentiate itself style wise a little bit. So again, I bucketed it in with the post-apocalyptic games and all of those tend to look the same. Uh, and the one thing that they that they did that I thought was kind of cool is they have an interesting color palette. Um, mm-hmm. When they were using when they were marketing it after the uh, Walmart Canada leak, they were using highlights of of a neon pink. And at first, I thought that's just a, a way of sort of giving some juxtaposition between this machismo, uh, uh, you know, guns and 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 everything kind of feel with something that you would think of as stereotypically feminine, like a pink color. And I thought that was just them trying to be edgy by just simply making a juxtaposition of, of something that isn't edgy at all. And so I was a little deflated. I was like, yeah, that's kind of dumb. They're using hot pink and these, in these, these marketing materials, but then they showed the gameplay and that color and other bright neon colors folds into the style really, really, really well. I mean, they would have uh, explosions, that you could tell were sort of filtered a little bit with this neon color, um, but it wasn't so much to take it to. It wasn't pushing it into like a uh, super um, super artistic like uh, Borderlands two kind of game or anything like that. It wasn't it wasn't that far, it, but it wasn't realistic like the first Rage game was even closer to realism or even the Fallout games. It was sort of in between those, and I thought that looked really cool. So visually speaking, I think it's something that I could really get behind. I think it's all going to depend upon um, the types of, of guns that you can use and the types of mechanics. I, I don't anticipate this being a game that's going to blow people's minds in terms of uh, story or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I you know, but if it but if it does end up being a mix of Doom, Fallout, and Mad Max, I I think I'll have some fun with it. It won't be a day one purchase, but I think I'll have some fun with it. Watching the the trailer that they had, the the gameplay trailer, made me think that the com- the comparison that jumped into my mind was, oh, this is like non cell shaded Borderlands. 
you know, more of a realistic 3D world Borderlands. And yeah. if it ends up being that, then I'm all in. You know, I think for me, the Rage 2 will entirely hinge on the storyline. Um, mm. it, it's And hopefully having some, some fun with it like Borderlands does. I hope there's some, some comedy laced throughout. And if it's just your typical post-apocalyptic run-and-gun shooter and then uh, my my interest probably wanes quite a bit. I think it'll have to have comedy. I don't know if it'll be the self-referential comedy of a Borderlands, but it'll have to have fun with itself given that marketing materials. I mean, uh, you can't watch those those commercials and think that it's serious. So I'm hoping that that's not just marketing and it really is that kind of fun uh, fun aspect to it in the actual game. Absolutely. So you mentioned one of the comps that you had was Doom. And they teased a little bit at this. They're going to fully announce it in August at QuakeCon, but the next Doom game, Doom Eternal. Thoughts? I'm very excited about it, though I will say uh, this announcement, along with, I think, Rage as well, because I believe those both come out next year, um, was a little anti-Bethesda. Bethesda is usually the one publisher that publisher slash developer that when they announce a game at E3, it's coming out in just a couple months. And that's sort of what they've built their reputation on in a lot of ways. But they didn't really adhere to that this year, which I was kind of kind of let down by. But that being said, I am definitely looking forward to Doom Eternal. Um, their whole tagline is kind of hell on earth. So in the first Doom or the Doom 2016 remake, you're, you, the game takes place largely on Mars and in hell. And this is sort of hell escaping to earth. So you'll see a lot of, uh, you know, earth buildings and things like that uh, incorporated, which I think will be great. The one of the one of the problems I had with Doom 2016 was it the, the environments were very much samey. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of variety in the environments. Mm. So this is one, this is an area where maybe they will be able to add some some uniqueness to the to the environments. Um, I was a little also hesitant to buy into the marketing, uh, or at least the, the very short uh, teaser that they announced. It seemed like one of those sort of panoramic, let's show you all of the cool characters that are going to be in here kind of teasers. Um, and if that's what really what they're going on, uh, if they're really going on, you know, it, it, it has twice as many demons and I'm guessing that means like demon classes. Cause they did say it contains twice as many demons. I'm, I'm assuming that doesn't just mean count. Um, if that's really all they're banking on is just a larger cast of characters, it, it, that could be deflating a little bit. Um, but again, doom isn't the, the doom 2016 wasn't a game meant to tell a giant story. In fact, part of uh one of the during the first few minutes of the game there's a monitor uh that tries to tell you about the story that's going on and your character grabs the monitor and just pushes it away and doesn't pay attention to it which was a great commentary on the fact that this isn't a game about story this is a game about just having fun and shooting so as long (laughs) as it maintains that kind of mentality i think it'll be really fun and i have no i have no reason to suspect that it won't it's the same team behind it i'm hoping it's more of doom but just a little bit more in terms of environmental uh, changes and things like that. That's mm-hmm. really all I'd want them to change. Yeah, I I completely agree. I, the Doom reboot was fantastically done. I love the Doom series going you know all the way back to PC. Doom was the first game that I got at launch along with my PlayStation 1 uh, and played the ever-loving crap out of that <laughs> iteration of it. Um, so, yeah, hoping, hoping for more demon-slaying fun. And... Yeah, 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 yeah. Good stuff, good stuff. Speaking of long-held first-person shooter PC series, Wolfenstein got two announcements 
two different announcements at E3, Wolfenstein Youngblood, which is the next iteration of the main series, and then a offshoot for VR, Wolfenstein Cyberpilot. What are your thoughts on those? Youngblood, I'm really looking forward to. It sounds to me like it's uh, similar to um, the Old Blood, which was a standalone sort of DLC experience, not really a full uh, entry into the series. Um, They didn't address that specifically, but the way I'm rationalizing that is just the naming conventions with Wolfenstein, the first one, the first of the re-releases. It was called the New Order, and then after that was the New Colossus, so they have the term new in both of those games. And then the first DLC offshoot was called Old Blood, and this one is called Young Blood, so maybe anything that has blood in it is sort of one of the offshoots and not one of the series' main lines. Mm. And so that's what I'm thinking. Um, either way, I'm absolutely uh, all for it. Wolfenstein is a series that ever since playing the uh, the the just a reboot uh, from a couple years ago, I was actually at the Cartridge Club, Pam at the Cartridge Club, I think it was, that actually finally finally convinced me that I should give it a play. I thought it would be just a standard you know, shooter like the original Wolfenstein's yep. were, yep. Um, but way more story in it. And that's really what I want in a game. Um, so I played it and I was, I was absolutely blown away by it. So Wolfenstein two, actually, when it was released was one of the other games that I pre-ordered to get day one. Uh, not too many I do uh, for that. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. They do say it is a co-op uh, game, but that it can be played with a single player. Uh, so as long as they merge those two, as long as they allow either either route to be equally playable, mm-hmm. I'm very cool with that. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. We don't know much about it other than that the uh, the central characters are uh, B.J. Blazkowicz's twin daughters uh, from the 19 or fast forwarded to the 1980s. It looks like they're probably teenage maybe early 20s kind of uh, mm-hmm. age it looks like um and if i was good at math i could probably actually tell the exact ages but it takes place in the 1980s in paris uh so which i think is is kind of cool uh, i'm really looking forward to it me too me too i i like you was completely blown away by the the wolfenstein reboot haven't played wolfenstein 2 yet that's on my backlog uh need to go through and do that but i was pleasantly surprised it was a a fantastic uh a fantastic experience and i love any kind of games that incorporate couch co-op local co-op i'm all for it's done way too infrequently these days where everything is multiplayer online and massive and yada yada Uh, i love being able to just have a buddy over sit on a couch crack open some cold brews and uh slaughter some bad guys so and what is there's not anything more fun than beating up on nazis or commies i'm Mm -hmm. either camp either camp i'll do both of them you know just (laughs) give me give me some ally enemy slaying fun hell yeah 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 and cyber pilot i'm i'm pretty excited about too obviously i'm i'm all in on the vr experience i love the Uh, I think this is the type of experience that VR is specifically tailored to Uh, in cyber pilot. The, the, basically the backstory or the, the setting is that you're a effectively like a, a hacker for the allies, for the resistance and you're hacking Nazi drones, Nazi robots, Nazi mechs, defenders, things like that, and piloting them from your, uh, basically from your computer. So I think this is an experience that is specifically going to really work well with VR. Uh, my, my favorite VR experiences so far on PSVR are things like uh, Eve Valkyrie, um, you know, some of the driving stuff, 
those sort of cockpit type experiences are perfect for VR because you're it takes out the limitation for PlayStation VR where or it nullifies the limitation on play PlayStation VR where you're you're relatively stationary, right? You're usually sitting there. You're not you're not running around like on a hollow deck, right? You're you're in a you're a captive audience in front of your PlayStation VR and you're tethered to your PlayStation 4 effectively with a cable. So um Cyberpilot should be should be cool. Looking forward to seeing more on that. They didn't give us a whole lot of info on it, but they also announced another VR game, and I think this is one like you earlier mentioned, where it's a got a VR mode, but it's also got a non-VR component, and that is Prey Typhon Hunter. Um, I've never been all that big into the Prey series, but maybe have to give this a try just to test out the VR mode. Yeah, I liked the first. I played the demo of the first Prey, and I actually really liked it quite a bit. And so, there's no reason I didn't play the rest of the game. I really should have. Um, but yeah, I, I think it could be, uh, pretty cool. I'll leave it at that. Not very much contribution from my point. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> and then of course, going back to Bethesda being very self-aware, I loved their, um, their skit with the Skyrim very special edition. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was great. It was great. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they had, um, what is, what is his name? Uh, Keegan Michael Key. Yep. From Key and Peel, yeah, yep. yeah, it was uh, just classic. He does he does the sketch comedy better than probably anyone out right now. He's, oh yeah, he's, he's fantastic. So yeah. if you didn't see it, they basically poked fun at themselves for releasing Skyrim on every platform under the sun. And in the skit, uh, they have Key playing Skyrim via Alexa, and then at the end he says, "Also coming soon to Etch a Sketch and Pagers and your smart refrigerator." So. Uh, definitely worth checking out. We'll link to a video of it in the show notes if you haven't seen it. Oh, and now my Alexa is talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should you should carry that on because apparently the Skyrim Very Special Edition was not uh, fake. It, there, apparently, there is a version of Skyrim you can play using just your Alexa. Um, really? It was yeah. It was something they kind of. Uh, it's it's obviously a very much a a dumbed down version, but it's apparently a kind of mini campaign that you can play it's text only or it's a uh, speech only i guess and it kind of almost feels like it seems like it almost feels almost like a D campaign where they're like they're presenting you with options and you can say what you want to do with this kind of stuff i don't have an alexa so i can't i can't tell how uh cool it is but i just like the fact that it was a laughable joke but they were like nah we'll still make it happen so uh <laughs> enable that skill uh the skyrim very special edition skill and uh and see how that works I'm going to have to give that a try. I will do that right after this episode, and I can report back <laughs> next week, or next, uh, in two weeks. Nice. Good stuff. Good stuff. So, then Bethesda closed out the show with two things that were on our wish lists from, from last episode. Things we wanted to see. One was the trailer for Starfield, their open-world space RPG that was on my list of of want my want list from last last episode and then they released they closed out the show with Elder Scrolls 6 a very very short terrain flyover hinting um that it's coming 
And then, of course, the internet sleuths went to work trying to figure out, based on the land in the skit or in the in the flyover, what exactly was the setting for Elder Scrolls Six. Oh, I think it's very cool. Absolutely. So, are, are you more excited for Elder Scrolls Six or Starfield? You said last episode that you're not as big on the sci-fi genre, right? Right, right. But I'm equally not as big in the fantasy genre. To be fair, I mean that the aesthetic. I should, I guess, I should say the genre itself. Um, as, as much as it includes just the aesthetic, I'm not a fan of, um, but, uh, but Skyrim, I I really, really loved, even though I didn't care for the aesthetic. And I realized by playing Skyrim that, um, it's, it's really the gameplay, the mechanics, the story of a Bethesda game that really draws me into it. So I'm probably equally as excited, uh, with, uh, Starfield and Skyrim, uh, maybe a little bit more for Skyrim just because I have some familiarity with it. But at the same time, Starfield is a game that not having that familiarity at being a brand new IP is in a way equally as exciting. Um, I think there was a, qu- I don't know if it was a quote or just sort of a tossed aside kind of comment, but uh, it's been said that Starfield is the game that Bethesda would have made had Fallout not become successful or had they not really got the Fallout rights before making three. So it's a game they've obviously wanted to make for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that that means that they put in a, that they're putting in a lot of love into it and it's really going to be an amazing experience. So maybe for that reason, I'm, I'm, I might be just a smidge more excited for Starfield. Yeah, well, I mean, Todd Howard did mention, I think, when he queued up the the trailer that it was something that they've been working on for years. So, I mean, I think it's, I think you're hitting the nail right on the head. One other comment that he made when teeing up the video was he called Starfield a next gen space (laughs) RPG, which got me wondering if this is going to be not even a PlayStation four or Xbox one game. Is this going to not release until we have PlayStation five or the Xbox dose? Mm -hmm. Very well could be. So that then that also says, if that's the case, then that means Elder Scrolls Six is way far off yet, because he did say that Elder Scrolls Six was coming after Starfield. So, <laughs> I mean, we may not see Elder Scrolls Six till twenty twenty. Yeah, late twenty twenty maybe. <laughs> yeah, I which you know it's a shame, but you know, good games take a long time to make. That's just the truth. Yeah, that that is the sad reality. We makes us makes us wait. No, no instant gratification here. Boo. So speaking of instant gratification, let's climb a tower, unfog a map and move on to our next presentation. The Ubisoft presentation. Where we begin does not define who we will become. Before you, I see a path. Built by friendship and family. Love and loss. War and bloodshed. You were sent by the gods to protect this world. You carry the blade of Leonidas. Act like it. As you write your odyssey across the mountains, 
Ubisoft kicked off their event with a relatively long trailer for their space opera, Beyond Good and Evil 2. Did you play Beyond Good and Evil, the original? I did not. No, I did not. So I have no familiarity with it really whatsoever, which is probably what factors into me not caring too much about this game, to be honest. I've always wanted to play Beyond Good and Evil. It looked like a very cool setting. It sort of reminds me of... Um, Firefly a little bit, just based on the you know, ragtag group of of characters that are all stuck together, hodgepodge on a spaceship. Um, so rightly or wrongly, that's what I have in my head, and I'm a huge Firefly fan, so at some point I need to test it out. And I think that the original Beyond Good and Evil actually is backward compatible now on Xbox One, if I'm thinking correctly. So um, maybe check that out. One thing that I did find interesting about the presentation on Beyond Good and Evil 2 was they started talking about this Space Monkey program and that was a collaboration with Hit Record which was founded co-founded by Joseph Gordon-Levitt the actor and it allows a bunch of people to essentially collaborate on making art and music and you know, all sorts of different things that are going to get dropped into the game universe to kind of make it more lively, more real, so that it's not every single city that you go to, you see the same reused art assets, the same reused you know, wall hangings, things like that. So I'm interested to see how this works. And from a legal perspective, too, I'm interested to see just how they, how hit record how their business model really functions because they Jordan goes Gordon Levitt came out and kind of talked about his hit record um, platform, but it was it sort of danced around how it actually worked. And so I'm interested to just check that out. Have you played around with that at all? No, I haven't. I know it's been around for a while. I, I remember back a few years ago when he was really trying to get this thing out there, this hit record thing out there. Um, so I, I imagine the infrastructure is pretty solid. Uh, my main concern about the entire presentation was, uh, one, we still didn't get game. I, they said we got gameplay, but I couldn't tell what was gameplay and what wasn't, um, which either is a great thing, meaning that the entire thing is cinematic and beautiful, or that there was so little gameplay that it, it was hard. You blink and you kind of miss it. Um, so I wasn't really sure what was gameplay and what wasn't, and I feel like this hit record thing, while it sounds cool, and I guess E3 is probably the best place to promote it to really get people interested in it, it's also something that I feel, I, I want to know the game first, I don't care about this thing without knowing more about the game and without actually having seen the game and all that kind of stuff, like I really feel like they could have done the hit record thing next year, next year's E3, or the E3 afterwards, when we still don't have the actual game anywhere near close to completion. So it was too early for that kind of thing, I think. Um, I've heard people say, and actually during the Cartridge Club uh, commentary on this, um, I was told that maybe they need assets early so that they can build them into the game. Mm -hmm. uh, my thinking is that I doubt that's the case, because the way this platform probably works is that the developers are leaving certain variables in the game that can be dynamically replaced out with these assets. Right. So they don't necessarily need the assets to build it. They just need to know what size it's going to be. And then they can just tell the creators, hey, make something of this size or make an audio of this length. Yeah. Um, they don't need that. So, yeah, I, I just think it was too early. And so, uh, yeah, I don't care too much about it. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> well, and you, you're talking about not being able to tell 
what was gameplay and what was just pre-rendered footage. I think this is something that Ubisoft has sort of become the butt of jokes for over multiple years of E3s is everybody talks about, oh, well, this is ripe for getting the Ubisoft downgrade, right? Where they show you something that's just not possible for the hardware to actually do and then when they actually release the game it's you know, three steps below that in terms of fidelity and 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 um textures and and just overall look so uh, yeah i think uh hold off and and to be to be determined on on my thoughts on beyond good and evil too when i don't really want to spend a lot of time on this but the next item that they they previewed and spent a ton of time on was trials rising which is like a motorcycle stunt racing game and apparently is part of a series called trials that i've never even heard of but it seemed like they were all in on this and they had you know a bunch of people in the audience that were like part of their trials online play team and whatnot but i did think the the dev coming out on a motorcycle and all dressed up like evil knievel was kind of amusing but not 20 minutes worth of amusement yeah, I'm with you there. It looks fun enough. What about Tom Clancy's The Division 2? I, To me, the whole Tom Clancy genre, I guess, the whole series just kind of bleeds together. I haven't played a Tom Clancy game since Rainbow Six, the original one, back on PC when it first came out. So um, I guess I, I was a little bit interested in this. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, I'm not too interested. I never played the first Division game. I'm not terribly interested in this one. Um a, a military running gun type shooters just don't really do it for me. Uh, I was a little bit, uh, I was deflated even more when I think they said that the impetus to the viral outbreak was a smallpox uh, outbreak. That was sort of the big thing. And I couldn't help but think, I, th- I you know, I, I thought we had, we had taken care of that as a society. <laughs> so I, I don't know if there's really the, uh, the, the or sense of urgency around it that I think they're trying to promote. Um, yeah. I, I just wonder, I mean, it seems like they were pouring a lot of a lot of promotion, a lot of cash into this, but I wonder if it's not the kind of thing that um, gets lost in the general post-apocalyptic masses, right? You've got Last of Us 2, you've got Fallout, you've got Rage 2, you've got a whole bunch of things that are just kind of post-apocalyptic run-and-gun fodder. And to me, this is the least compelling of all of those that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. One thing that I am excited about, however was Skull and Bones, which was basically the game that they made out of the sailing mechanic, the piracy mechanic from Assassin's Creed 4 Black Sails, which was the best part of Assassin's Creed 4. This looks really cool. This looks... I I spent a ton of time playing Assassin's Creed uh, Black Sails, and it was all because I loved sailing around on the ship and taking down frigates and running from uh running from the the authorities basically taking doing assaults on coastal shore strongholds it was just a lot of fun it was something that begged for its own game so i was stoked to see that it's coming with skull and bones yeah (laughs) (laughs) I, i i wish i could share your enthusiasm i i don't know it just doesn't do it for me pirate stuff i see i keep crapping on all these genres it makes it makes the logical question be like what genres do you like caleb but i i do yeah the pirate stuff just doesn't do it i mean granted it's not a walking simulator that's true if it was a pirate walking simulator i might be all for it (laughs) (laughs) 
So uh, Skull and Bones isn't coming until 2019, though. So this is something again that I just have to sit on and and hope they hope they show more of. But if it's if frankly if it's just an entire game that's the pirate mechanic from Black Sails, I'm all in. I love it. That's that's actually what I was hoping that that Xbox game was going to be. Um, the the pirate one that everybody said didn't have enough content. Um, sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was really hoping it was basically going to be what Skull and Bones looks like, you know, where I can just go out and pirate by myself and not have to have you know a million other people involved. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because I'm a hermit, damn it. That's right, as, a, as all pirates are. That's right. Amen. Amen. I did actually just uh, Memorial Day weekend. I went up to Salem, which, of course, is famous for the the witch trials. But also in Salem, they have a New England piracy museum. And you can go through and they have uh, like a history of piracy in in New England here. And uh, you kind of learn that basically a lot of the pirates that spent their winters down in the Caribbean raiding and everything. And then they all came back up here and lived during, you know, the summers. Cause that's really the only time anybody ever wants to be in new England. So it was <laughs> kind of interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. There you go. A little, little knowledge drop on this, uh, this episode, this marathon episode of, of masters of unlocking. <laughs> so the next item on from Ubisoft was transference. And this was, uh, hobbits meet horror adventure meets full motion video question mark that sounds about right (laughs) so it's done by elijah wood frodo's specter vision uh which i had also never heard of i didn't even know that he had he was in on a game a game company and i guess he does a lot of stuff it's more they do more like hollywood type stuff they do work on movies and tv shows and stuff i guess at least from the presentation that that frodo gave but when they showed the the gameplay it looked like it was sort of a full motion video horror adventure i don't really know what to think about this other than i'm definitely intrigued because it's horror and it's vr and even if it's kind of good i'm in yeah, um, I, I I would love for it to turn out really well. My fear is that it's going to be just another FMV game. Yeah, you know, that's my fear. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if it leans because of the FMV, if it's going to lean more toward um, being the adventure type mechanic, where you know, kind of a harkening back to those point and click type, uh, like um, night trap sort of thing, mm-hmm. which could which could be cool given the storage space now on you know media you know we're not we're no longer restricted to the 700 megs that cds had to work with so who knows but filming all of that would be expensive yeah for sure the the next item which i was super stoked for when i first started seeing the gameplay footage of it because it looked some like something right up my alley was starlink battle for atlas and it was basically like a ship-based shooter, and it looked like all of the things that I was hoping that we would get from No Man's Sky. Hmm. It's very colorful. It looked like something that was more action-based that kind of what I was hoping from No Man's Sky. But then they started piecing in clips of people building toy ships, and then I was completely 100% out. I thought that we had mercifully put a bullet in the head of that whole toys to life <laughs> movement. Oh, uh, now now we're hitting now we're hitting the zombie phase where they're yeah. all coming back. Oh yeah. my god! It doesn't. Yeah, I'm not excited about it at all. I, I kept asking myself. So it's Ubisoft making it, um, and 
they did mention that uh, Star Fox was an exclusive character uh, for the Switch version. Mm-hmm. And not only just, it's not just a palette swap or anything. It's there's legitimately what seems to be, you know, dialogue and missions and things like that specifically built around Star Fox as a character or Fox McCloud. Uh, it makes me wonder why Ubisoft didn't just make a Star Fox game. I mean, uh, you know, Nintendo trusted Ubisoft to make, to bring Mario into the Rabbids universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, that game was pretty successful. Like, I think maybe this is just a pre- precursor to that. Like, if this game does well, then maybe Nintendo will let Ubisoft just make a Star Fox game. But that's, yeah, that's 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 what I wish they would have done instead of this Toys to Life thing. Yep, yep. No interest in Toys to Life. I have enough crap taking up space in my apartment. I don't need a bunch of figures. I've already been through that phase of life. <laughs> and then the last thing that, that we want to touch on on Ubisoft is... Assassin's Creed Odyssey. They confirmed it right before the E3 after the pictures of the keychain promotional item got linked got leaked, but uh this we they closed out the show with a pretty robust showing of Assassin's Creed Odyssey and it's coming October 5th. So it's um you know, I guess we're not taking a, a year off. <laughs> I could imagine that you were just squealing the entire time this thing was going. Oh, if it, I was, I was all in, I was all in like it basically it's set in the Peloponnesian war, which was the war between Athens and Sparta, essentially a Greek civil war. I mean, it wasn't Greek, wasn't a unified nation really at that stage. Um, so it was a, a group of city states, a bunch aligned with Athens, a bunch aligned with Sparta. And it was just historically epic for the battles that took place. They had these epic trireme battles, and triremes were Greek ships that you had hundreds of men in rowing at each other, and they would essentially just ram each other to death. And they hinted at that being in the game. So having uh, Assassin's Creed with trireme battles almost tops the piracy excitement that I had for <laughs> Black Flag. And now the they did say that in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, it was they they led off with lots of RPG heavy talk and talk about it being more aligned with RPG type mechanics than any previous Assassin's Creed Odyssey. So I'll be interested to see that. One thing they did show was that right off the bat, you get to choose your character. You can choose between Alexios and Cassandra, who are the, your, your care, whichever one you choose is the grandchild of King Leonidas, who was the leader of Sparta. He's the main, the main leader of the famous 300 Spartan army that fought back against the Persian uh, empire in their march towards Greece. Um, and he carries a blade of Leonidas, which is effectively, it looks like the, the item that gives him his assassin's power it doesn't look like it's at least nothing that i saw in the gameplay footage had the kind of iconic wrist you know dagger thing did you see any of that no i did not in fact i didn't see any reference to uh this is where my assassin's creed knowledge kind of goes away from me but the thing that begins with a the uh place where you oh the animus yes thank you yeah i didn't see any reference to that at all and i didn't play origins was that a a a core component in origins as it was in all the other assassin's creed games yeah it was it was still in it it was very tangential though Mm. the 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 future version or the current present day portion of the game was very very minimal um sprinkled throughout and just maybe four or five different parts throughout the entire game so 
I would love it if they got rid of that whole thing and it was just running around in Greece and not having to deal with the Animus at all. I, I've always thought that was the weakest part of the whole Assassin's Creed story arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, super excited. It comes with two different... There are two different versions of Collector's Edition available, the Pantheon Edition and the Spartan Edition, which come with statues and steelbooks and all kinds of goodies. Both of them are Ubisoft store exclusives, though, so... Uh, expensive, probably crappy shipping. Yeah, great deal, great deal. But that was that was Ubisoft. I'm all in on Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Faux show. Faux show. <laughs> so there were two two other third parties um, perform- or presentations before we get into our first party discussions. That was Square Enix and EA. And full disclosure, I didn't watch either one of them yet. And Caleb has it on good authority that both of them sucked. So. Yeah. EA more than Square Enix uh, or Enix, I realized is how it's pronounced. I did not know this. Uh, Enix. Um, and so. False, false, false. false. <laughs> um, oh, wait, that was that. Yeah, that was our last episode when we talked about that, wasn't it? Or was that? Maybe no. it was the cartridge. Okay, so it was the cartridge club thing. So I remember there was a a, a conversation I was having and uh, we realized it. that's how it was pronounced. So, um yeah, so the Square Enix one was good. If you're if you're a Square Enix fan and you had a lot to look forward to from them and you were expecting a lot or whatever, it's probably good enough, but nah, it just wasn't for me. I'll definitely watch it at some point here. I just didn't have the time to fit all of them in. Uh, I do like a lot of Square's properties, obviously, as a as a guy who is big in on story, big in on, on Japanese-themed games, big in on role-playing games and JRPGs. Square and and Enix have both traditionally been right up my alley. And one thing that did that I, I do know was announced was the next uh, um, Dragon Warrior. And that, uh, that's that been one of my favorite RPG series. So we shall see. But the next item that we're going to talk about is the Nintendo Direct video. So the first thing from the Nintendo presentation was Xenoblade Chronicles 2's expansion, which I, I haven't played Xenoblade Chronicles 2 yet. Xenoblade Chronicles was amazing, um, but I'm I'm sure this will just be DLC. Uh, so probably not something I will ever play unless it comes out with like a gold version somewhere along the line. I know you're big in on the Switch. Was there anything from the Nintendo presentation that really got your juices cooking? Not really at all. Um, they spent a lot of time on Super Smash Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hollow Knight is a game I've been wanting to play for a while, so I'm glad that it's out on the Switch. Uh, so I will probably play that at some point. I believe it was PC only or maybe PC Xbox, but I think PC only before this. 
Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm not as stoked on Octopath Traveler as the rest of the world is. I think it looks cool enough. But the, the biggest sort of Switch announcement that I'm most excited about actually wasn't even announced during the Switch presentation. It was announced during the Devolver Digital presentation, which definitely has a polarizing reception. I'm one of the of the camp that thinks it's pretty cool. I, I, I enjoy it. It's fun. Yeah, uh, I agree. <laughs> but uh, they had a, a game that was Switch only called My Friend Pedro. And this game looks bonkers and fun and just all around just super, super, super fun. Um, very stylized 2D twin stick shooter, um, side scrolling uh, 2D uh, twin stick shooter. Just it, it's I'm not going to try to I'm not going to try to describe it here um, <laughs> other than to say I, that you should definitely watch the trailer. It looks amazing. I think the best description of it is actually the lead line on its Steam listing. And it's, my friend Pedro is a violent ballet about friendship, imagination, and one man's struggle to obliterate anyone in his path at the behest of a sentient banana. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. <laughs> I think the the word ballet, I think, is probably the best descriptors of that whole thing like you take ballet out of it and of course sentient banana but you take ballet out of it and you're thinking okay it's a guy shooting a bunch of stuff but yeah imagine it's a side side scrolling 2d uh twin stick shooter mixed with ballet and a little bit of a sort of quentin tarantino style and it's just bonkers looking but i'm looking forward <laughs> to that for sure <laughs> absolutely yeah i would i wish they would have spent some time on that because that sounds amazing I think it would have been very anti-Nintendo to dedicate a direct to that because it is very gory and violent. So <laughs> that's probably why they avoided that, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. And they did, like, some of their more third-party M-rated stuff was kind of just all crammed together in in real quick clips in that montage that they did. Um, I mean, they basically spent their entire, their entire thing. They spent, like, an hour on Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. They spent about... Almost an hour on Pokemon, Let's Go, Pikachu, and Eevee. And then, uh, you know, another half an hour or so on Super Mario Party. Which, out of all three of those, I'm not... I'm on record... I think we're both on record as saying we've never played a Pokemon game. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. Correct. I have never played more than five minutes of Super Smash Brothers. It's just not my jam. Correct. For for the fighting genre, I much prefer something like Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. where it's much more structured and less button smashy. And mm-hmm. I know all the Super Smash Brother like tourney guys are going to be, oh, it's not button smashy. <laughs> it is more but, chaotic than I, maybe chaotic is the right word. Yeah, like, I just yeah. don't like all that nonsense going on. But. No, me neither. Out of all of them, though, Super Mario Party, I would say that Mario Party is probably, with the exception of Breath of the Wild, Mario Party is probably the game that I've actually spent, or the game series that I've spent the most time on across the past two gen, no, well now three generations of Nintendo consoles. Really, which is which is somewhat astounding, and it by and large it's because it's a game that is easy to play when you have a bunch of people over and you've been imbibing in barley sodas and. Uh, it's just a great drunken party game. So all through grad school, we would get together and play Mario Party, have Mario Party parties where we would just drink and play Mario Party. And because that game, that franchise is one you spent the most time with and logically deducing that you drink a lot. You know, I have been known to consume a beverage <laughs> or two. Yeah. 
Well, you won't get any. Sh- you won't get any shame from me. <laughs> Actually, and it, it also. I guess the other side of that is I, frankly, play very little on Nintendo consoles. At least non Super Nintendo, original Nintendo, Nintendo consoles. It's always been uh, an ancillary thing for me. That's fair. Yep, yep. But I know the thing that you're most excited about. You didn't mention this because you're humble. And I know (laughs) that in reality, Caleb J. Ross, for those of you who don't know, is a world-class Fortnite player. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep, yep. He jumps out of the bus and parachutes down and uh, really loves the Battle Royal experience. Yeah, I mentioned that uh, I've played Fortnite for a total of 37 seconds. Mm. And that's because that's all I need, bitches. That's right. Yep. To yep. to realize the game is not for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Zero interest whatsoever. Yeah. I'm glad do... it exists. I'm glad people like it, but yeah, not me. Yep. Keep bringing keep bringing the kitties into the video game console ecosystem. I'm all about that because uh, they can fund the crazy weird stuff that I play. They can they can help they can help subsidize that. That's right. Kids need to yeah. work. That's right. Get off my lawn. <laughs> This is probably the shortest Nintendo overview of any E3 review out there. Do you have any other things no, you want to discuss I really on Nintendo? Don't. <laughs> I really don't. I wish I did. But they're also notoriously the the, uh, the the company that has shorter E3 presentations in general, not just the fact that our review is short, but they're, they're shorter in general, and they do more stuff throughout the year. Um, and I think this is almost an afterthought for them in a lot of ways. They realize other big companies do it, so they kind of have to as well. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So moving on from Nintendo, the next first party presentation is from Sony. boots playing the shakuhachi flute yeah yeah Mm. i think that i think that's how it's pronounced but uh you know i'm not so up on the japanese language so i probably butchered it because no i think you pronounced flute correctly i think that's how they (laughs) that's official japanese pronunciation you sure it's not flute it might be flute you're right dang it okay et tu flute my ignorance is showing too (laughs) i was stoked Stoked, stoked, stoked to see more Ghost of Tsushima. Was, this was one you were excited about, yeah? Yeah, very excited about this one, yeah. Uh, in fact, it, strangely enough, when it was first announced last year, I wasn't really that cool on it. It took a while before I kind of came around and realized, oh, this could be something really, really, really cool. So I was waiting for this presentation to solidify my excitement. So I'm in the same boat. I I love Japanese history, love cult the the kind of historical culture that they have, the the samurai culture. Was super stoked for Ghost of Sashimi. <laughs> That's I'm not curious how it's pronounced. <laughs> oh, wait a See, second. I, <laughs> uh, I did have I did have all you can eat sashimi for lunch yesterday though. So That's not bad. That, That's that was that was delicious. 
delicious. Give me some sushi and some sake, and I am a happy boy. I'm with you. Happy, happy, happy boy. You know where you could have some some sushi is if you came to Chicago Cartridge Club Con. Um, I'm just, just gonna throw that out there. Yeah. I'll just yeah. I'll go to I'll go to my local neighborhood authentic Kansas sushi place, and <laughs> then uh, and and I'll just I'll Skype you guys in, and then uh, we'll all eat together. Kansas City is well known for its sushi culture. <laughs> well known, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I guess to be fair, is Chicago either? Like you know what I mean. At least there is a big lake. Next there is to a big Chicago, lake. You're right. At least, right. at least, <laughs> we have ponds. Yeah, it's true. We have, you get, uh, get some pond sushi, some mm. cray- crayfish sushi. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> so, getting back to Ghost of Tsushima, I'm interested to hear what what did the eight minute gameplay video do for you? Did it increase your excitement? decrease your excitement not move the needle because you were already stoked what uh (laughs) tell me the caleb j ross experience it increased my excitement considerably actually uh i so first of all it looks gorgeous and i know in the Mm -hmm. modern console generation it's kind of it's kind of a, a cop out to say a game looks gorgeous and sort of hang the game's uh effect on that one nail but um the game looks it just looks fantastic and so i was really impressed by the small glimpse of really clever not not even clever just good level design that we were seeing so in this in the in the play uh, gameplay demo you start off you kind of looking at the horizon you don't see a whole lot you see grass and wheat and all that kind of stuff just and then you see the, the sun in the background the sun looks as a, as a sunrise might it's very colorful all that kind of stuff or sunset probably in this case so you're looking at this you see the horizon and the sun and that's about it as you move toward the horizon you see the camera sort of pans and, and focuses your attention on a on a tree in the background in the horizon that is full of really, really vibrant red leaves. And everything else is sort of greens and uh, yellows and stuff. So this is a very noticeable focal point. Which So obviously the game's saying, hey, that's interesting. You should go there. But what's interesting is is you get on your horse and to go down there, there's actually a path that encourages you to go the opposite direction. So if you imagine yourself on a mountaintop, um, there's a switchback that's sort of guiding you in the opposite direction so that you would anticipate coming then back around to toward the focal point. So when you get on the switchback and you start heading in the opposite direction of the tree, you actually see in the, you're then first clued into a burning building on the left side of your screen. So now you have two points of interest. You have a burning building on the left and you have a, a bright, vibrant red tree on the right. Um, and I love that because... That, that that's just great game design because great game design is always all about giving your players choices and making those choices difficult to have but equally valid and so in this case you could abandon the red tree that you originally were going to go toward and instead go to the burning building um, and I'm sure either route would be applicable either route would be valid in this particular gameplay demo they they push you back toward the tree uh, you get to the tree and you encounter someone who is your uh, partner in crime, so to speak. Um, you do some fighting, all this kind of stuff. It had it had at points it had even some Spider-Man, uh, some upcoming new Spider-Man game elements to it, where you know you're kind of hidden and you have your uh, you have your choice of which enemy you want to kill, and so you plus press a different button to possibly go after one of those enemies. Um, so it looked really cool from that perspective. And then after, you know, the fight, you sort of realize this partner in crime, this friend of yours may not necessarily be your friend. And it culminates in a uh, in a battle that has 
the fi- has arrows sort of flying at you and burning the 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 grass around you and that grass is sort of slowly closing in so there's tension throughout the entire even the tension of which decision to make i want to go to that tree or this burning building that's tension but then there's also tension not just in the battle itself where you're actually fighting someone but the fact that the arena is kind of closing in on you a little bit because the fire's closing in closer then you then there's the tension of, of personalities is this person i'm fighting actually my friend or not my friend i'm not really sure all of this tension just layers and layers and layers of it. And if the game can maintain that, then I think this could potentially be one of the best games. Uh, I, I don't know if it's coming out next year or not, but it could potentially be the one of the best games of the year, a, a game of the year contender possibly. I mean, just from the small little sample set, that's what I'm getting from it. Um, so yeah, I'm super excited about it. I, I don't know if you felt the same way, totally opposite, I'm not sure. I I was right with you with the, the visuals. It was stunning. The... Just the cinematography is amazing when you see the the mountain range on the, the with the sun setting behind it on the horizon and the the one on one fight there where you've got the the underneath the the red tree with the leaves falling around you and the the leaves coating the ground and starting on fire around you was absolutely picturesque. Um, but I will say beyond that, it. I was, and I'm still super hyped for this. I, I will. I, what I'm about to say is going to sound like I'm poo-pooing it, but it, it, I'll I'll quell that in in a, right up front here. It it looked to me sort of like Uncharted with just a samurai mod. And now I love Uncharted, so that's not all bad. But I would like to have seen something gameplay mechanic wise that kind of knocked me off my feet. After after E3 and after the Sony presentation, I saw somebody had put on Twitter like a a really cartoony hand drawn picture of a Sony Sony PlayStation Four cover that um, basically in in the cover art it just said uh, random third person over the shoulder action game from Sony <laughs> and and to me the video didn't do anything to wow me other than you know, the the things that I already knew the setting the um, kind of the, the the beauty of feud you know samurai feudal Japan I'm still excited for it but I haven't seen that thing that you know, wallops me as like a, this is the reason that I need to play this game instead of one of the litany of other third person over the shoulder action games on PlayStation. Like I said, that sounds like I'm poo pooing it, but that's probably has become my favorite genre. And that's the reason by and large that I love the PlayStation so much in comparison to Xbox and Nintendo. Um, most of those are story driven. They're single player designed to be single player experiences. And I think that's, that's something that Sony worldwide studios does so well. Um, part of the Microsoft presentation that we'll get into right after this, they talked about, they had a big, a big seminar or a big, big portion of this, the presentation devoted to Microsoft studios acquisitions that they, they, I think it was five developers that they purchased. Um, And so the Sony presentation was after that. And um, Sony was when the, in their kickoff, Sean Layden, the chairman of Sony worldwide studios sort of gave a nod to, Hey, you know, don't forget, we've got a pretty great, 
in-house studio of our own at Sony Worldwide Studios is made up of 13 studios across the globe and and they churn out some some pretty fantastic third-party action games you know they've got things like Sucker Punch which is Ghost of Tsushima they've got Guerrilla Games they've got uh, 989 Studios Cambridge Studios um, you know, Studio Liverpool the Evolution Studios just a, a, a pretty good uh, in-house group of their own the music clip that we played on the intro to this Sony presentation was Cornelius Boots playing the shakuhachi flute. And as I was watching that, immediately the first thought that popped into my head was, I give it five seconds before all of the social justice warriors come out and complain that, oh, what's Sony doing with a white dude up there in Japanese garb playing a traditional Japanese flute and doing the music? And... Of course, that did happen on Twitter. You know, you have the the outcry immediately before anybody looks into anything and tries to figure out what exactly is going on here. Well, Cornelius Boots is actually one of only like six people in the world who is recognized as a master of this shakuhachi flute. <laughs> Saka, shakuhachi flute. I am never going to be able to say that correctly. <laughs> So, I mean, it, it's the guy is is recognized in Japan for his mastery of this this dying art form. So um, I think just a I guess a lesson in that, you know, we don't always have to have knee jerk reactions to to things that we see before, you know, like like you said, maybe do some research before you know having your immediate reaction. Nope. And, nope. We are right on. <laughs> research takes work research does take work it's so damn hard oh man <laughs> speaking of hard oh no no we're not going that direction people I, sony's whole structure that they had for this presentation was seemed more come overly complex than it needed to be they kicked off with a everybody in one venue which was all done up to promote last of us 2 they had a tent that was done up like the dancing scene uh, where we got into some of the the Last of Us Two gameplay, where we had um, Ellie and Dina dancing and and kissing, and then they had to after the Last of Us Two video, they had to cut away to people like their sideline reporters, and they talked about a bunch of stuff because they had to then shuttle everybody live at the event to another venue where all of the rest of the stuff was happening, which it. it seemed relatively seamless watching the video but uh, from reaction on twitter it seems like it was kind of a shit show to be to be done live yeah we knew going into it that sony said that they were going to highlight and really focus on four games then the first game was introed by um a banjo player for five minutes or so and then the game for 20 30 minutes 20 minutes i guess um and then after that it cut to people outside sort of the the commentators outside talking about that presentation a little bit so all in all for one game you essentially spent like 40 minutes for this one game and then when the second game uh ghost of ghost of tsushima and the flute playing and everything happened it looked like it was kind of the same thing and so at that point i thought oh great we're gonna have we're truly only gonna have four games and every game is gonna take 40 minutes and this is gonna be crappy uh, but what we learned, though, was that it was really only the first segment that required the full, like, 
transition between the two um, yeah because the other ones all took place in the same stage so that was nice I had that exact same worry when when they got into uh, Ghost of Tsushima and I was like, oh, no, they're going to have to do four different set changes. And <laughs> this is going to take forever. Yeah, I'm really glad it didn't happen that way. Me too. Me too. But getting back to the f- set number one, Last of Us 2, Naughty Dog, thoughts? Uh, it looks awesome. Uh, so I played most of the first game, uh, really, really liked what I played. It just got to a point where I was having a ton of difficulty and it became less fun for me. So I kind of gave up and then just watched a let's play for the last probably half an hour of the game. Um, it looks really, really, really cool. Uh, you know, when it comes to stealth games, at least this, this 11 minute gameplay video that they showed us was focused a lot on stealth. Um, when it comes to those stealth games, uh, I'm always paranoid that the stealth that the enemy AI is way better than it really is. And so there were some things happening in this game and this in this presentation and this gameplay that I'm thinking, oh, is stealth that easy? Because they made it seem like it was very easy and that apparently the the vision cone of these guards is very narrow or something. Because I mean, it just seemed absurd that these guards and stuff couldn't hear what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the game plays that loosely then I might jump into it and be like, okay, I can, I can play a stealth game. If the stealth is that loose, I'm, I'm totally cool with that. But it would be, if there's a, if there's a, a hyper-focus on stealth, the first game had quite a bit of it as well. If there is also this hyper-focus on stealth, I probably won't pick up the game, honestly, as great as it looks and as awesome as it's probably going to be. I'm just kind of averse to that, but it looks really cool. Um, they set the, they set the stage, uh, they set the, the gameplay up, um, you know, I, I've used the term juxtaposition in the past, but that's really what this is all about. Uh, they, it starts with sort of a dance uh, scene in a barn. It looked like almost like a sock hop mm-hmm. or whatever you would call it. Um, in a barn, uh, a bunch of people dancing and stuff, which I thought was really cool. It sort of established that people are trying to restore norm normalcy to humanity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, after the events of the first Last of Us, and this game looks like it takes place probably eight, ten years or so, maybe after the Last of Us, the first one. Um, you know, the people are trying to restore this semblance of normalcy. So they're having some fun, having a nice dance, that sort of thing. Also, I noticed that, uh, L Ellie has, uh, acne on this and she looks to be, you know, late teens, early twenties. Um, and she has acne on it, which I thought was interesting and cool because, you know, you, ha- that took someone, someone had to consciously say, I'm going to put acne on this character. Um, but it was just that small thing that I felt was, you know, in most games you would have, you know, perfect complexions, that sort of thing. But I think it was a small thing to sort of also remind that these characters have humanity and they have day-to-day problems that they're dealing with and day-to-day issues and concerns. But above all, they're humans and they're humans with emotional feelings and things like that. You think of acne, you think of teenage, you think of, you know, emotions, craziness, and this entire first section dealt with emotions. Um, We learned that Ellie's most likely a lesbian, um, or she's at least entertaining this idea. She's dealing with her sexuality sort of thing. And thinking of that amidst all of the other craziness that was that we saw later on with the killing and the stabbing and all that kind of stuff, it just humanized the the entire thing in a really, really, really cool way. And the first game did a really good job of humanizing the characters as well. So I love that they're doubling down on this and they're saying these are humans amid a crazy clicker apocalypse kind of thing. Um, they're not professional, you know, murderers and things like that. Even though Ellie is, is obviously more grizzled. She has tattoos, which I think also speaks to that humanity thing because tattoos don't have any need for survival. Um, it's an aesthetic thing. It's, you know, it's not anything that's needed. So to know that the society has taken its time to 
introduce tattoos again. It's, and, you know, that sort of thing just really humanizes all of the characters. So I'm, I'm excited about it, but I will probably passively just sort of watch Let's Plays about it. I don't know if I'll be jumping into it again because stealth games just aren't my thing. And this, again, is another area where, where we complement each other because <laughs> I, stealth games are pro- absolutely my thing. I, <laughs> even like in most RPGs, if there's a if there's a class that's stealthy and roguey, that's always the class that I end up playing. So I absolutely loved Last of Us, the first one. I didn't play it originally when it first came out on PlayStation Three. I played the the remastered version on PlayStation Four and was blown away. Um, so yeah, the the juxtaposition of having Ellie and Dina dancing there and happy, and you've got society sort of having that normalcy to it bookending just this absolutely brutal 10 minute scene where ellie is really pretty gruesomely killing zombies you know the the visuals there were just striking um the environmental interaction the something as little as just the the character animations where ellie is pulling a, a arrow out of her shoulder or she's you know reloading and or the the zombies are kind of coming around the corner and and the way they waddle and it just really sucked me in having just those little touches rather than just waiting you know you're you're kneeling behind a a bookcase waiting for the next thing to happen there's always something that was going on in the game and uh it's definitely going to be one of the one of the games i'm most excited for from this e3 even more than death stranding Oh boy. <laughs> I think one of Sony's sideline reporters summed it up perfectly after the seven minute video for Death Stranding, where he just sort of looked at the camera and said, Death Stranding, well, now we have even more questions. <laughs> after seven minutes of video, I still can't tell you what this game is, what this game is really about in any sort of specific sense. And I feel like people are loving it just because it's Kojima and they like to like artsy things. You're probably not wrong. Although I would say that's exactly the unique factor that should be pushed. Uh, You know, no other developer could uh, do that. Kojima has that air of mystery about him that fans and non-fans alike will follow. And so I think it's a smart move to continue just highlighting that that hit that ability of his um if they gave us too much about gameplay then then it wouldn't be a kojima production anymore like it's almost you have to maintain that sort of mystery and you have to push for it because he's the only one that can really do it so you might as well capitalize it on it when you can i'm i'm very excited about it i I, again i have like everyone else i have no idea what's going on and especially in this reveal so it's been you know about a year since we had any sort of concrete information about it so what do they decide to do during this this year the seven minutes of video uh well they highlight the ability that you can essentially drag wagons behind you essentially uh that's it you have a ladder you're essentially a caravan and you have have a ladder uh Uh there was no combat there was no interaction no no real mechanics discussed um there was no new environments necessarily uh so there is people just don't know anything about what's going on, but gosh, I think that's the magic of it. And I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that when it comes to Kojima. My, my initial gut reaction while I was watching the video, the gameplay was, 
oh, it's a walking simulator. Caleb's going to love this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> Maybe that is why I'm going to love it. I, I just, I remember the small quote from Mads Mikkelsen uh, somewhere where he said it was a multi, it was a, an, probably unfortunately a multiplayer game, but it does it in a way that's never been done before. And I don't know if that's Mads Mikkelsen saying that because he is so out of touch with video games or if he actually knows video games and this really is something completely different than the way it's been done before. But um if it's if it's if it is online, if it is multiplayer, that sort of thing, I'm really hoping there's some some cool stuff to happen with it. Uh, I'm just really I'm so intrigued and excited. It, it, it's at this point, it's not a day one purchase for me. I mean, it's one of those things that I'm happy when it gets released. I'll probably just watch clips of it unless we get more about it. But I'm still super super happy to see what it looks like. Excited to see yeah. what it looks like. Yeah, to me, that's probably something that I'll wait for like a GameFly used sale on. You yeah, know, where I can pick it up for 15, 20 bucks and play through it that way. Yeah. I agree. Not not a day one, but again, who knows what, what we'll learn between now and the release date. Probably nothing. They, they still haven't even announced a release date, yeah. so who it, knows. Yeah. When they went back to, I think this was the, the, the sideline reporters that announced this one as well. And this was, yeah, it was actually like the post-show trailer reveal was a PSVR game, which of course I'm excited about. But this one is kind of interesting. It's not really a horror game, but it's from from software, the the guys behind Demon Souls and, and all of those real brutal kind of you know, action RPGs. But this is uh, Deracene. And I, don't, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly because it's got all kinds of accent marks and it's probably French. But the the description is that it, you're you basically you're playing as a spirit summoned by a young girl and you're in like a X-Men style secluded boarding school. And you as this summoned spirit have to prove your existence and build a bond with the the students through sort of poltergeisty activity. You're moving things, you're um, changing the environment ever so slightly in hopes that they'll notice you. And um, I, that's really all I know about it, but it looks kind of intriguing. It looks like a, a unique experience. And who wouldn't want to play a ghost for a little while? Right. It looks like a walking simulator. Um, I'm all about that. <laughs> it, uh, it, it does very much. Look like a if it wasn't simulator. PSVR, I might actually uh, play it. It does look really cool. It is kind of. I like that From Software is trying some different things. Um, I'd be interested to know if it was the same actual team behind some of their more brutal games, like you were mentioning. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it looks interesting for sure. And one game, I don't think that we. Because I, I think it was also mentioned kind of in between things. It wasn't really part of it, and I don't see it listed on the notes. But From Software also revealed their the game they teased last year during E3 uh, that was just um, teased with a tagline, Shadows Die Twice. And people were like, is that Bloodborne 2? Is it a Tenchu game? Um, but they did release, they did announce what that is, and it's a game called Sekiro, I believe is how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks really cool. It does look like a, uh, it looks more in line to the Bloodborne, Dark Souls type of game, not the uh, Decine or, or Decine, did I say that right? Deracine. Um, but it looks, uh, it looks very, very cool. It looks to me like it is a Tenchu game, because I think From Software either owns or has some kind of relationship with a Tenchu uh uh, game uh, Tenshu uh, license. I'm not really sure about that, but I have heard that they that they do. Um, and yeah, so- I think t- I think Tenshu was a, a joint thing done by Acquire and From Software. Okay, so then it would make sense then that they kind of wanted to almost bring that into the modern day 
because the clips that they showed of this game, this Sarah, uh, uh, this Sekiro, um, does have the grappling hook man mechanic. It looks very ninjas like. It it kind of it's very very cool looking. So I am probably more excited about that than um, any other From Software thing that's been announced. I agree. I loved the the Tenchu series. Um, yeah, I I love ninjas, and it had. I'm I'm shocked that you enjoyed it because you just got done saying you don't like you didn't like stealthy type games. <laughs> I know. Except <laughs> to me, Tenchu is like when I think of stealth games, I think oh, it's Tenchu like. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird. What's interesting is Tenchu, the first game. That's what got me to buy my PlayStation One back in high school. Um, I had a. Super Nintendo, I was kind of a Nintendo person, uh, but I saw the trailer for Tenshu one time, and I begged my mom to take me uh, take me to the nearest town that had video games. I was in, lived in a very small town. Uh, I took some money out of my savings to buy it, so I bought a PlayStation and Tenshu as soon as I saw the trailer, because I love ninjas that much. Like, that was the thing. It was a ninja game. And I will say that Tenshu is is too stealthy for my liking, but I got, I got past it because I loved uh ninjas just so much but this Sekiro game it looks very not stealthy at least in the clips that i've seen there's definitely a lot of combat a lot of bloodborne type combat um so i think it's not going to be as as stealthy i wouldn't think anyway it was definitely action action packed in the in the trailer that they the short clip that they showed can't believe i forgot to put that in the list how dare you well done sir keep me honest (laughs) keep me honest One thing that that Sony did, because they spent most of the show just hinging on the the four games, three of which we've already talked about, but they, Sony did announce some games before E3. They did kind of a a trickle out where they had, I think, across five days leading up to E3, they would announce one game per day um, as new games coming to PlayStation. The first one was Tetris Effect, which the video looked kind of interesting. It looks... didn't really look like a Tetris game to me. Um, looked almost more like a three-dimensional kind of shooter type game almost. It would, yeah. Maybe I, I just didn't understand what the hell was going on. No, I couldn't figure it out either. And was it, I could be totally wrong, was it a VR game? I don't think it was, right? It's one of those that has a VR mode. Got it. But I think I don't think it's, it's VR only. I, I think Tetris VR would be scary. Like just having blocks crush you. Oh, man. Not, yeah, no, nope, I don't want I don't want any part of that. <laughs> I was a little disappointed when they mentioned the name, though, Tetris Effect. Recently, I'd read the book Tetris Effect, uh, and it's a really, really good book. But I was hoping that this was like a trailer for the film version, because the Tetris Effect book would make an awesome movie. It's spies, espionage, all this kind of stuff. But it's a real life. It's it's nonfiction. Uh, so I was actually kind of disappointed. But then I realized, well, they're not going to talk about a movie during a video game conference. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, my expectations were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the next game that they talked about in their pre E three announcements was Days Gone, which was announced before, right? I mean, that wasn't a f- initial announcement. I think that it was announced like a couple of years ago at E three. Yeah, it was definitely a known it? game for sure. Yeah, and it, it's it's sort of like biker gang meets post apocalyptic survival. I, I, I think it's going to get lost in the shuffle to be honest this is one of those games that's just gonna be forgotten i'm yep i i completely agree i think for me i would rank it probably above um it, it, in terms of my interest level it would be probably above the division two in that malay you know the general mass of that type of game um but not really above anything else 
Twin Mirror. This looked interesting. I, I still don't even really know how to describe it. It looked very stylistic, like you were sort of in another realm almost. And it's a it's a psychological thriller. It, I, I can't even I, I'm at a loss for describing. I think it. there. I, I think if it seems like it could very easily be compared to a Twin Peaks um, or like the, the TV series Twin Peaks or like um, uh, a what's the what's the game that came out that a lot of people also compared to Twin Peaks uh, that came out in PS. Oh, for the the Xbox where it was um... it, this one was pretty old and it was it's notoriously considered like a terrible game, but it's terrible in a charming way. Um, gosh, I can't remember. But anyway, it's it seems like it's that's one way to do it. And I'm guessing the name Twin Mirror, Twin Peaks, they're probably uh, trying to come off of that. Deadly Premonition. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, yep. So it's probably probably that. So I, I would imagine it's going to be something kind of like that. I also have to say at this point, too, uh, don't nod. How many people do they have? They have, I think just during this E3, there was four or five games announced that don't nod is releasing. Like yeah. they, they are everywhere. And so hopefully they're all quality games like the Life is Strange series. But gosh, that's that seems to I don't I don't want them to be pulled too thin, you know? Yeah, absolutely. They I mean, they during the Microsoft's presentation, they also they announced the next uh, Life is Strange kind of offshoot. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was. Yeah. I, to me, I think for for Twin Mirror, the, the comp that entered my mind when I was watching the, the trailer was Alan Wake. Yeah, uh, which is again another one of those kind of Twin Peaksy style games. Uh, but I didn't make the the Twin Peaks connection. That's a good, that's a good thread. the The last two games that they announced pre E three were both VR games. Now was Ghost Giant and Beat Saber, and Beat Saber looks just sort of like a a rhythm game where you're you're using like a sword to. A saber, if you will. Yeah, you are using a saber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, Ghost Giant was kind of intriguing. You're basically, it's like a sort of platformy, you know, which is is unique for a VR game. Yeah, they had the Moss, I think it was called, that a lot of people really liked, where you kind of played an overlord guiding a mouse character mm-hmm. across the across the land. So maybe that took off and people are really liking it, so they might do a little bit more with that. It sort of reminded me a little bit of a platformer meets, um, what is it, was that Black and White? Was that the game where you're you're basically a, a deity oh, and yes. you're, you're enabling things to happen? Yeah. So. That does seem a perfect VR experience, right? I mean, if you're a yeah. god anyway, you might as well take the god perspective and, and instead of moving your mouse around, let's actually physically pick up people and move them over, you know? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I, I love the, the, all of the indie studios and what they're doing with VR. Um, I just, I think there's a lot, a lot more to, a lot more new experiences to be, to be uncovered as, as developers get more and more comfortable with the VR experience and the VR platform. The next uh, item from the Sony presentation that I wanted to touch on was Control from Remedy and 505 Games. This looked pretty cool. Yeah. It was like a psychic force powers game. It almost reminded me of like Jedi Knight, you know, where you're using force powers to force push and force pull enemies around. Yeah, it looks really cool. And it's like, it seems like that would also make a good VR game, but. 
apparently this one doesn't have a VR component, at least not that we know of. So, but right. yeah, it looks cool. Uh, five Oh five games. They always do great stuff. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, or they always put out good stuff. I should say, cause I think it was developed by remedy, right? Isn't that what? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it does look very cool. We didn't get a whole lot from it, uh, but I think it definitely could be. It's definitely a game I'm looking out for, but there wasn't a whole lot given to us about it other than other than what you already explained. We mentioned that there were four big games that were on the plate for Sony to go through. We've already talked about Ghost of Tsushima. We've talked about Last of Us 2. We've talked about Death Stranding. The fourth was Spider-Man. And this was really the first reveal where we got to see some actual gameplay from spider-man and you mentioned that spider-man was one of your your two pre-orders that uh, that you did yes uh, sir post post e3 tell me why uh i had gamers club unlocked <laughs> <laughs> i mean there there's a lot of ga- and it was coming out relatively soon i mean there's a lot of games that i would have pre-ordered but they literally just didn't have listings for them yet so um, that's pretty much all it is. And I, I was a huge fan. I played the original, well, not the original Spider-Man, but I played, uh, the ti- uh, just titled Spider-Man game from PS1 years and years ago. And it was the first one that had sort of a semi 3d environment where you could swing, uh, pretty, pretty with some freedom. Um, and I really, really liked that mechanic. They really kind of polished it up and made it better in the, pl- in the PlayStation two era, um, and I just, it's been a while since I've played that, you know, it's, it literally has been since the PlayStation two Spider-Man that I've had that swing anywhere you want around the city and, and kind of just have fun with it. And so I, I kind of just want to do that for a while. Again, that's really all it comes down to. I like Spider-Man well enough. Sure. But I just want to do that again. Well, and I think too, it's, it's insomniac insomniac right. is, has always done, done well by me. I've liked a lot of their stuff. I will say that watching the video I, I was sort of surprised i wasn't really expecting it to be as action platformer 3d platformer beat em uppy mm. as it was as it looks to me the it looks like if you reskinned this game it, it would not surprise me if this was like lego spider-man <laughs> you know it looks like which which I'm, i don't mean to be disparaging i i love the lego the lego action beat up games um but to me it had that kind of feel where you're just you know bashing all kinds of enemies and just it's just a true you know old school beat up with a 3d updated look yep yeah so that comes out september 7th yeah uh, so rel- relatively soon here and i think if, def- if if with insomniac there you know one of their big calling cards is they have lots of power-ups and, and weapons and that kind of stuff. Like, you think of the Ratchet and Clank games. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's its main focus is you can collect all these cool weapons and mods and stuff. Um, and they all, they're all very unique and cool. So I'm really excited to see how they do that with Spider-Man, you know, what kind of web upgrades you get, uh, suit upgrades you get, and all that kind of stuff. It'll, it'll be interesting. That's what I'm... That's kind of, like, I think what I'm mostly uh, in it for is really... In, Insomniac. Insomniac just makes great games. They absolutely do. It'll be interesting, too, I think... Just with with Spider Man and the the Marvel Universe tie in, right? What kind of Easter eggs are there going to be in there? Yeah, you know, right. During the during the actual video, you you did see some of them. You saw like Nelson and Burdock's law firm. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be it'll be cool to just go through and sling around and uncover all kinds of Easter eggs and power ups. Good times. Mm-hmm. One thing left to talk about on Sony, and that was the Resident Evil Two remake. Oh man, <laughs> it looks so good. It looks so so good. January 25th, 2019, 
And, you know, given the fact that we are Masters of Unlocking, I figured we probably had to at least touch on this. I can't wait. Yeah. I cannot wait. I would love to see them go through and do a remake on all of the old ones, you know, one, two, and and three leading up to Resident Evil 4. Resident Evil 4 was really kind of the first, I would say, modern take on it. Even though I don't particularly care for the controls in Resident Evil 4, I don't think that one re- really needs a, you know, a complete reboot. Yeah, if this is successful, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't, you know, update them all. I was telling the uh, the Cartridge Club uh, people, the Cartridge Club members, after during our commentary after E3, after this presentation, I was telling them that I remember when I first played Resident Evil 1 uh, many, many, many years ago, I rented it from the local video store, and I hated it. I thought it was the dumbest thing in the world. I felt like the, the, the screenshots in the back, which is how you judge a game back then, the screenshots on the back of the case did not accurately depict the type of game it was it looked like sort of an actiony fun kind of game but it was much slower and more puzzle based and man we i hated it and so i tr- i went back to the store and i told them that i wanted to exchange it for a different game and they're like oh why is it broken and i said no it just sucks <laughs> and they were like uh no we can't you know we can't exchange a game because you don't like it and we're like i was like fine and it wasn't until years later after that that I played it with a friend uh, and that friend knew how to play the game and knew what it was about that I fell in love with it. And so it was funny when I was telling the the Cartridge Club members this, they actually alluded to the fact that our podcast is called Masters of Unlocking based off of the first game. And they said, that's kind of funny and that's weird. And, I said, and I, so that gave me the opportunity to tell the story about uh, when we were trying to think of the name of this podcast. And I was very adamant about saying, you know, it's got to include the word video game in it. It's just got to say video game. So if someone's scrolling through a directory of podcasts, they're able to say, oh, that one's about video games. It's got to be video games. It's got to be video games. And then uh, and then you were like, what about Masters of Unlocking? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm wrong. That's way better. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Although we did work it in because the official title is Masters of Unlocking, a video game podcast. That's true. You're right. I, I, I got so, the subtitle. I'll have to settle yep. for that. Yeah, because we, we do need that. We do need, <laughs> do need those search search uh, cues for sure. So, yeah, I, I I am stoked. To me, Resident Evil is the type of game that I really love playing in the winter for whatever reason. And I think part of that is because it gets so early here in the north, in the northeast, that it's dark. You know, when I get home from work, it's dark. Yeah. So I can immediately be in the mood to play something spooky. I don't have to, like, sit around all day and wait till my bedtime, you know, because I'm an old man. <laughs> it's definitely much more than just a, an, a reskin or an up up res or, I mean, it is a total remake. It's It's a remake even more so in the sense of, you know, the Shadow of the Colossus, that was a game that a lot of people were really citing as, wow, this is a true remake, man. They rebuilt from the ground up. This game, they did even more than that. I mean, they're doing a lot of stuff with cutscenes, brand new cutscenes that you just simply couldn't have done on the PlayStation 1. Um, they're the, they did change it to the over-the-shoulder perspective. As you mentioned, it's no longer the tank controllers from st- from, a, from a single stance, um, which I think could be good or bad. I mean, what part of the charm of the old Resident Evil games is that the director was able to, the game director would be able to very specifically control what the player is experiencing at any given point by using the static camera. And that is one way to bring about tension and one way to bring about jump scares and things like that is that it's fixed. Uh, so it's a completely different style of game to not make the camera fixed. And so I'm, I'm wondering if it's going to have the same sense of uh, scare to it, or if instead it's going to 
veer more toward the action side. I know a lot of people who liked Resident Evil 4, they really liked it because of the action. It wasn't necessarily a scary game. It was more of a fun action game. So it probably will lean more toward that fun action game than a scary game. But either way, I'm looking forward to it. I really hope they don't. I, Resident Evil 4, I know, is is a lot of people love it. But for me, the Resident Evil will always be, first and foremost, the the horror aspect and that's that's what i loved about resident evil 1 and resident evil 2 and when resident evil 4 came out i i not only did i not care for the controls but it just 4 5 and 6 all sort of had this focus on action and they were really more action first they they were run and gun zombie games really more than survival horror games right so when Resident Evil 7 came around and was really sort of a a hearkening back to the horror roots of Resident Evil, that got that tickled me in all the right places. So I'm 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 really hoping that they stay true to the the horror aspect of it, but I will play it either way. <laughs> So before we get into the Microsoft program, let's touch quickly on on something that was contained in the Microsoft program, but wasn't really, it's not a Microsoft title, and it was one of the other items that we were both pretty stoked for last week when we went through and gave our, our predictions and our wish lists, and that was CD Projekt Red's Cyberpunk 2077. What did you think? <laughs> I think it looks cool. Uh, I don't know much about it. Um, I know CD Projekt Red has already built themselves a reputation of making really quality games. People love The Witcher 3. I didn't like it as much. So I, I, don't, I don't have much to say about it other than it just looks really cool and I'm definitely interested. I know it went to a first-person perspective uh, instead of the third person from The Witcher games. So that is putting a few people off. Some people are scared about that. Uh, but yeah, I'm just, you know, we'll see what happens with it. What about you? the sort of technological future setting. I'm less interested in that as a general rule than I am in sort of the historical or high fantasy or super futuristic sci-fi space type stuff. So I'm, I'm not as excited about Cyberpunk 2077 just from the genre itself. All of my excitement for the game rests purely on my love for CD Projekt Red. I, I am a huge Witcher fan. I absolutely love the series, um, and I love, I love what CD Projekt Red and the attention to detail that they put into their games. I guess that's that's really where where my excitement lies. Um, if 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 it's purely something, if it if it ends up being Snatcher and or Blade Runner, just done by CD Projekt Red, I'll be happy. And uh, Witcher Three also a chapter in the book blood sweat and pixels that i mentioned earlier so yeah if you're and that was actually one of the best chapters because it really helped you understand and put into context why what cd project red did with the witcher 3 was so interesting um they had a lot of hurdles up against them they were working in a country that didn't really have developers to begin with they didn't really have a lot to live up to but they wanted to make sure people knew poland was a 
what was a game making area. Um, so definitely recommend the book even, even more so now. Well, I just ordered Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. There you go. Because, uh, you know, first time, uh, maybe not convinced. Second time, maybe <laughs> not convinced. Third time you bring it up in a single episode, now you've got me hooked. I'm just going to start bringing up crazy weird stuff three times in an episode. <laughs> it's like, you know, you, when you say, what is it, three times into the mirror and... Uh, Bloody Mary comes. comes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bloody Mary comes. <laughs> now uh, Blood, Sweat, and t- Pixels comes instead. Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. Oh, God, there she is. <laughs> <laughs> no, the ghost of Jason Schreier. <laughs> that would imply he's dead. That's sad. How about we... we we turn our camera away for cyberpunk and we look out for miles and miles to Microsoft's presentation. actually really really happy with microsoft's presentation they did exactly what they needed to do uh they didn't talk about hardware and they talked about all of the exclusive games that are going to be coming in the pipeline uh, so they they did i think exactly what they needed to do uh, finally it sounds like they're getting it that people don't care as much about hardware as they do about games um they spent a lot of time talking about the 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 studios that they acquired uh, and while that might indicate that it's going to be a few years before we see any really good, true exclusives from, from Microsoft, this is a, an important step that they're taking. So I thought they did great. Yeah, absolutely. And then maybe we should start off by just discussing the, the studio acquisitions. We Back in episode 14, when there were kind of rumors bubbling up that Microsoft might be doing some acquisitions, we spent an episode talking about why who we thought Microsoft should acquire just in a if we were running microsoft who would we look at for for various reasons and we looked at the financial side of it we looked at the portfolio side of it what would make it in what would make sense what would expand microsoft's reach given that discussion and sort of in the frame of the the, what we discussed in episode 14 which were some relatively sizable acquisitions we talked about you know big players what do you think from a portfolio perspective? What are your thoughts on the the studios that Microsoft did announce that they were acquiring? They just to recap them, it was the initiative, which is a new studio, Undead Labs, who did State of Decay, Playground Games, who has done the Forza Horizon series, 
compulsion games who did contrast and we happy few and then of course ninja theory which is probably the big name uh who did kung fu chaos back on the original xbox they did heavenly sword on the playstation 3 they did the dmc devil may cry reboot they did uh hellblade sinua sacrifice which you already mentioned so what does this mean for Microsoft? You know, it was interesting. There's a couple studios in there that made this sense. I mean, the initiative was one that they are just now creating. I think that's what it was, right? Like, they are actually creating yep. it, so they haven't had any games or anything. It would make yep. sense that they would create a, a first-party studio from scratch. That makes sense. Um, Playground doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, Forza series is definitely something that's really big on Xbox, and so it doesn't surprise me that they would acquire them. Yeah, that actually surprised me that they didn't already right, own yeah. Playground games. Yeah. Whoa, wait a minute, really? Yeah, that's very true. Um, I thought Compulsion and Ninja Theory, those are two studios that I was not expecting because they tend to lean more toward the art experience rather than mm-hmm. just the game, uh, rather than, you know, guns and cars like Xbox is traditionally. So I think that that's an important move for them to start carving into that space. I think they realize probably that's where a lot of the creativity happens. If you have the crutch of cars and guns, um, then you're going to use that crutch. But if you don't have that and you're looking elsewhere, I think those are those are smart buys. Um, it makes me it endears me to my to Microsoft uh, more than I ever have been. I think I'm, I'm really excited to see what they do. They they it could very realistically they could release games in the next couple of years that cause me to want to buy an Xbox, which is essentially the purpose of having exclusive titles. So I, it it seems like it's going in the right direction for me. I think you hit the nail right on the head with compulsion and, and ninja theory. In episode fourteen, we we one of the things that we talked about was if Microsoft's going to go out and acquire studios, what they really need to do is acquire somebody that gives them something new to their portfolio. You know, they as you said, they're the guns and cars company, right? They're Forza, they're Halo, they're Gears of War. Gears of War, right, exactly. Uh, everything that's in the in the Microsoft exclusive portfolio is that big multiplayer experience that's either guns or cars. And they don't have, you know, as, as we'd said tongue-in-cheek before, PlayStation is the third-person over-the-shoulder action-adventure game, um, story-driven action-adventure game, that... You can do a lot of cool things with that because it is sort of a generic um, mechanic, right? When we were talking about uh, Ghost of Tsushima, I, I was wondering, where is that hook for me? Where is it just the setting? Is it just the arts work? Or is there, is there gameplay-wise something that's new and exciting? And I think, um, you know, with, with companies like Compulsion Games and Ninja Theory, you always have sort of those, those new things that, that they're trying I think that expands the Xbox portfolio and the Xbox reach to customer base exponentially. So now that we've gone through the exciting thing and talked about what is coming for Microsoft's, Microsoft Studios and potentially what could be on the horizon for new types of experiences on Xbox, let's talk about what Xbox announced is actually coming. And guess what? It's cars and guns. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty much a yawn fest for me for most of these announcements, for sure. I yeah, I I agree completely. Um, Halo Infinite, mm, yeah, I whatever. I'm happy for I, the Halo fans that have been waiting years yep, for it, but yep. Hopefully, it doesn't suck like Halo Five did. Allegedly, I don't. I never played it, but I mean, I think most people thought it sucked. At least that's my interpretation of what I've seen online. Crackdown 3. I'm surprised it's still in development, to be honest. Yeah, this is quickly becoming like uh, Duke Nukem Forever territory here. And, and frankly, 
the only thing that I took away from the video of for Crackdown 3 was the intense desire to never hear Terry Crews speak again. <laughs> oh my God. It was just yapping, yapping, yapping. Stop talking in my ear, Terry Crews. Who would want to listen to somebody talk for two and a half hours about anything? Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we, we don't have any listeners at this point in the podcast. So, so nobody is still the answer. Yeah. That, no, it's, it's accurate. It's accurate. <laughs> uh, sea of thieves, the cursed sails and forgotten shores expansion. Um, I know a lot of people were were excited for Sea of Thieves. I know listening to the Polykill podcast, Travis and and Jake were super excited for Sea of Thieves and to be able to do multiplayer, you know, pirating with a bunch of friends. But they've panned it because it just it seems very light on content. So hopefully, Cursed Sails and Forgotten Shores sort of helps solve some of that. But I think one of the lines from the the intro video that they did for for these kind of sums up my lack of interest in sea of thieves entirely the the quote one of the characters says is i actually like meeting new people nope (laughs) i was like oh yeah that that's why i don't like this game (laughs) no i'm perfectly happy going into fortress mode and not talking to anybody The the next announcement was is actually one that I'm I'm kind of kind of excited about and it surprised me. So I've never the it's Horizon Forza Horizon Four and that's coming October second, um, and that was the where the song I can see for miles was. I I thought this trailer was gorgeous and really well done. Now, when it comes to driving games, which I do enjoy playing from time to time, I much prefer more of the arcade style. And rather than the pure simulation style. And that's kind of the, the divergence between Forza Motorsport, which is the original series, and that's very art, uh, very simulator style. It's very you know, realistic, uber hyper-realistic. And then Forza Horizon has been their more arcade-style, um, open-world type gameplay. Um, and watching... and. Watching the trailer for Horizon Four, it, it's this time it's set in Great Britain, and I just think it would be a lot of fun to just go around and drive around Great Britain. It, it reminded me a lot of one of the games that I played a lot of on the Xbox 360 was Test Drive Unlimited, which was this same kind of open world racing game where you do missions and stuff, and it was set on Maui. And I just thought there was it, there was something that was really a lot of fun about driving around Maui and seeing the the sights on the island. And some of that may have been that when Test Drive Unlimited came out, my dad had actually just gotten married on Maui. So I had just come back from Maui a couple of years prior and just getting to drive around the island and re-experience it was, was fun. So maybe I'm a little uh, uh, biased there. Well, and they're also introducing weather conditions, right? So you could race in the winter, for example, and maybe drive across a lake that was now, is now frozen over, whereas before it wasn't. So the weather could potentially even change the tracks themselves, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and because it's very open-worldy, the it, it would just allow you access to new areas that you maybe couldn't get to before, you know, that were were blocked off during the summer that you can now get to because you can drive across the lake. So I think uh, Forza Horizon, out of all of the actual announcements from the Microsoft uh, presentation, is probably the one that uh, tickled my fancy the most. The next game, now we all we covered the fact that you're a world class Fortnite player mm-hmm. and that you, you dominate the battle royale experience. Mm-hmm. 
So I assume mm-hmm. that you're super excited to know that Player Unknown's Battlegrounds is uh, coming. Wait a minute, wasn't that already? Wasn't that already out on Xbox One? Didn't that? Wasn't that up? Didn't we talk about? This oh no, no, it was whole, a pre-launch uh, beta. It. Uh, oh yeah. right, 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 right. So right. No the, one's played year, it yet. Yeah, brand new game mm-hmm. coming to coming to Xbox One. Player Unknown's Battlegrounds mm-hmm. console launch exclusive. Oh boy! Yep, exciting, exciting. <laughs> well, and that nom- that uh, tagline console console launch exclusive is also something that this year and last year Microsoft really played up, trying to I think fool some people. Uh, uh-huh. No other company was, or I guess the only other three companies that are the only other two companies that create uh, hardware, but uh, they nobody else is using that to say like to try to brag that this is a console launch exclusive or a. Uh, timed exclusive or they just really try to beef up this word exclusive so that was also just kind of funny to me but yeah I don't have any interest in player unknowns battlegrounds at all nope no I also don't have any interest in this session game that was like some sort of skateboarding thing which is also a console launch exclusive (laughs) I was big into the Tony Hawk series when it first came out I remember having I had the uh, Pizza Hut demo disc that gave you three minutes of the first stage of the first Tony Hawk game. And I played that just that three minute demo more than I played most other games at that time. Um, And it was, you know, ahead of its time, it was kind of a big deal. And so I had a lot of fun with the Tony Hawk games, the first one, the second one, I think a little bit of the third one. And then I just kind of came away from it and didn't really play it much anymore. So I'm interested to see like if the people who really liked Tony Hawk will come back to the skate uh, genre with this. Um, so I know a lot of people were wanting skate four. Uh, I mm-hmm. had never played any of the skate series, so I don't know if those, if, you know, I don't know, but it seems like this seems to be the kind of game that those skate four players or skate four wanters, uh, are, this could deliver on that. Yeah, definitely. I know they're watching the, the video and watching the like chat that was going along with it seemed to be equal people like yawning and then there was the, the crew that was excited. So mm-hmm. good. Happy for them. Were you a skateboarding guy? growing up i like i was um i was not very good at skateboarding i did inline skating a lot and i was much much better at that um i in fact just uh about a year ago i thought you know what i there's a i drive by a skate park every day to work just about and i thought you know what i'm gonna go back and just see if i can at least still do it you know just to just to see if i can at least still stay up on the skates i can go up and down the half pipe and just kind of have fun with it and things were going swimmingly for for about twenty minutes. <laughs> they were going great, uh, and then one small misstep, and I ate it pretty bad and landed on my shoulder, and my shoulder was swollen and bruised for I kid you not about two months. Like it was bad. I, I think I probably dislocated it and probably should have gone to the hospital, but it was really really bad. I could barely move it, uh, and so and I haven't got back since. Not surprisingly, but. <laughs> As I age, I at least wanted to prove to myself that either either I can do it and I'm still as good as I was, or I just shouldn't do it. I didn't want to assume. And what I learned was I shouldn't do it. So, yeah, <laughs> it was bad. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you made it through that harrowing experience. <laughs> I can envision all of the skateboard kids like watching from afar, peeking out like they're watching a, you know, some sort of zombie attack and thinking like what is what is this old dude doing oh yeah it was bad there was there was two other kids there because it was pretty early in the morning and there was two other kids there and they were of course way better than i was but um back in college when i actually would skate uh at the skate park they had there um there was one time when i did fall pretty bad and actually bent my finger like so at the second knuckle my finger was bent 90 degrees 
the direction it's not supposed to be bent um, sideways essentially and so uh but i was the oldest person there so no one could drive me to the hospital so i had to drive drive myself to the hospital and i remember trying to start the start the key on my car and i couldn't turn the key because my finger would hit up against the dashboard (laughs) so i had to like reach my hand around and kind of like turn it on it was quite a mess uh but you know and and then it turned out that that the when i got to the hospital the doctor said uh, you know, we can, we can do this, you know, two different ways. We can either do it. Uh, we can either give you a shot and let that, let the, let the, uh, anesthetic kind of wear in or not anesthet- anesthesia kind of wear in or whatever. And then we can correct it or we can do it the shorter way. And I was like, what's the shorter way? And he literally, this is like from a movie. He literally took it. He was like, this is the shorter way. And he just snapped it back in place. <laughs> and I was like, it hurt so bad. Uh, but you know, I, I could have probably done that myself had I been, you know, John McClane, like, uh, die hard about it but i'm just i'm kind of a leany wuss yeah i did that uh a very similar thing playing softball a couple of years ago i was in a fall league and so in was this was while i was living in wisconsin and playing softball in like november in wisconsin <laughs> is a is a very unique experience because it's usually it's basically snowing all the time and so i was playing a game and it was snowing and it was probably like you know maybe 34 35 degrees somewhere in there so everybody was freezing i was playing shortstop and i fielded went down to field a ground ball and when it hit my glove and i had like both hands down to field the ball and the thought that went through my head first when i grabbed the ball to throw to first and was oh my God, this guy hit the ball so hard that he cut in half because all I could feel in my hand was half of a ball. Oh, yeah. And I look I look down at my throwing hand and my pinky was basically the, that exact oh, scenario. Like right. the, the entire thing was just completely dislocated and off to the side. Like it wasn't bent, but it was completely displaced. So like the, the bottom knuckle was, you know, coming up normally and then the top two top two finger bones were just sort of not in line with the bottom one. Um, and yeah, so I was like, Oh shit, that's not normal. That, 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 that shouldn't be there. And so I walked over to the dugout and a guy walked over. He's like, Oh, that looks bad. He just grabbed it and pop right back in. I was like, Oh my God, that hurt (laughs) so bad. And, and we didn't have enough people to play. So I, I played the rest of the game, the, the hospital the next morning. And they're like, yeah, Looks like uh, looks like you already took care of it. Here's some ice, <laughs> <laughs> and here's the five hundred dollar yeah. charge. For, right, yeah. exactly. Thanks, fantastic. Oh man, yep. <laughs> so, pinky war stories. Any listeners yeah. we still have at this point in the podcast, we no longer have. No, no, they are <laughs> long gone, long gone. Well, it's shame on them because they're not going to get to hear us talk about all these cool, uh, rest of the cool games. That's right, like Black Desert, the okay. MMORPG from. Sh- 2014 sure that's what i meant by cool games it's a it's a it's an xbox one port of a 2014 korean mmo and it looks exactly like (laughs) that's what it is a 2014 game from you know some tiny korean outfit nice wow i can't believe this made it to an e3 presentation yep well crackdown 3 also made it so that's true. That's true. I, they should have had Terry Crews talking over doing the voiceover <laughs> on Black Desert, too. So clearly not excited about that. Nope. Nope. Uh, not at all. One thing I am. Another thing I'm excited, though, was uh, the next Cuphead. 
mm-hmm. or at least the an expansion DLC pack to it, I suppose. The delicious last course. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully with this release, I'm hoping that we get a physical copy. I, I'm still flabbergasted that a physical copy of Cuphead does not exist. Yeah, me too. For as as unique as it is for Microsoft and as different from the standard Microsoft exclusive fare, it boggles my mind. I mean, it, it's super popular. So come on, Microsoft, let's go. Just give me a disc. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Maybe because it's so popular, they realize they don't need a physical disc. If the only way to buy it is digital and it's super popular and it's super unique, well, then people will go out of their way. You know, most people are not like uh, you, uh, I would say. So that's probably why it hasn't You're probably felt right. the need to. Well, if they want to sell it to me, they better make a physical version. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm completely happy not experiencing Cuphead. They did sell a physical case of it in the stores. Fantastic. I don't know if you saw that. So it just I, had I did download see that. code in it. Yeah, yep. <laughs> that's like the ultimate fuck you. That's so weird that that's like, even we a, went like through, why even do it? Right. I mean, I got to think that the case and the artwork probably cost about as much as yeah. just stamping the disc. And shipping couldn't be as much difference between a case with a disc and without. Right. Uh, what a what a cluster. <laughs> what a mess. One the the other. Another console launch exclusive <laughs> was Tunic. And this is one that I'd, I'd been, it was sort of on my radar before. Really, really cool looking, I think. It, this looks up my alley. It's like, yeah. I, it's, I call it Foxy Zelda. And it's a, <laughs> yeah, Zelda's pretty foxy on her own, let me tell you. True. But, uh, not like this. Not like this. This is... Basically, think uh, Zelda-style adventure RPG, except you're a fox. And it's kind of got an isometric 3D view. Looks like it could be a ton of fun. Yeah, absolutely. It also looks like it could have been a mobile game, but uh, I'm glad it's it's not. Um, yeah. It does look really cool, though. I'm excited about it. If it ever get when it gets to PS4, or it also looks like it could be a Switch-type game, too, so... Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, obviously, since it's a console launch exclusive, exactly. it'll, be, it'll end up coming to other platforms. So that would be right. It would be perfect for Switch. Yep. So two things that they teased a little bit. One was just a very brief teaser, and that was coming in 2019 from Rare, Battletoads. <laughs> oh, man. I oh, didn't man. know I wanted it until I saw it, you know? Right? Absolutely. And I'm happy that they're they're giving Rare a chance to you know, do something that's not just a stupid Connect game. Yeah, maybe not the Rare property that I was hoping for, but it's still a, a test. It's a it's a test, and I love the uh, the teaser for it opened with a just a single image of one of the walls from the Turbo Tunnel level, which is a notoriously difficult level, and those walls are notoriously frustrating. And so, just to open with that tells me either. It was either there to remind people how uh, to to basically just get some sort of emotional reaction, whether it's positive or negative. But it's oh, I know exactly what that is. Um, <laughs> so, I'm, but I'm hoping that's not to say that the game is going to be as difficult as Battletoads was. But I'm sure it probably will be. I don't know. You think today's today's gamers are will will be satisfied with that kind of. Brutally I mean, hard experience. I mean, I know there's people the, love Cuphead, and Cuphead was brutally that's true. hard, and it's that's, that's true, you know. So I, and I there's think they, there's there's the whole you know Dark Souls crowd too. So. Yeah, 
I th- especially the people who will have the nostalgic connection to it. They're used to the Ninten- Nintendo hard, you know? That's true. So That's true. I think it could be super hard and they'd still appreciate it. Looking forward to it either way. Yeah, yeah. The other uh, item that... More guns. More guns from, from Microsoft. Gears of War 5 coming in 2019. Um, yeah, it, it looked yeah. like a Gears of War game. Sure. Yep. I don't think I've played one since the first one, so... Yeah, I, I think I played the first two, and I played. I only played them through because they were they were co-op local experiences, and they are fun for that, but uh, I think it's a game that has, hasn't particularly, or a, I should say a franchise that hasn't particularly aged well, I don't think, um, just because they seem to hang their hats on the fact that it's, it's co-op and they've got like this kind of hide behind a behind a wall mechanic that they that they really introduced to gaming but i don't think it's really done anything as a series since then that is all that groundbreaking they're just sort of resting on their laurels so maybe gears of five gears of war five will be different but i'm not going to hold my breath yeah me either so then i mean outside of those those exclusives and quote-unquote launch exclusives i mean everything else from the microsoft presentation was uh third-party stuff they had the cyberpunk 2077 uh reveal they actually did the the first reveal of sekiro shadows die twice um which i, I knew i had it on our list it's sorry for microsoft jumping ahead. section <laughs> <laughs> and what i wrote down about it i was like souls plus god of war plus samurai that, that sounds fair. that sounds good yeah let's do that Metro Exodus, which it was basically like Fallout with Flintheart Glomgold as the, from DuckTales <laughs> as the villain doing the voiceover. <laughs> I, which, it's really the only thing I have to say about Metro yeah. Exodus. Was, it looks fun enough, but it also yeah. looks like it could be just another, just another post-apocalyptic experience. Yep. One of the the cross plats from the Microsoft that I, I was excited about again, this, we, we hinted at this before, but that was the awesome adventures of captain spirit, which is the, from the life is strange universe from don't nod. Uh, and it's about a 10 year old boy who dreams of an escape to a world of adventure and it's free. You can download it right now. Oh, I didn't know it was now already. Well, well I might do that. June 26th, actually. Oh, you son right. of a bitch. Basically right now. Basically right now. Yeah, basically right now. You know, depending on how long it takes me to edit this podcast, it might be right <laughs> now by the time it comes out. That's true. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so you mentioned Don't Nod before. What are your thoughts on this? I, I As I was watching the the trailer, I thought this might be something right up your, your alley, given your your parenthood. Yes. Um, I'm very I'm very intrigued by it. Now, I hadn't actually even played um, uh, the life is strange uh and that's a game too that should be right up my alley as well so i think i'd probably want to play life is strange before this one this one seems almost like an origin story uh we i know in the first life is strange there was some uh, uh time bending kind of powers that you had as as the main character this character maybe seems like they have the same kind of time bending powers but they're also a child a young boy who probably uses those powers to fulfill these fantasies of being hero heroic and stuff so i think that's kind of a cool concept i really like that so i probably will play it just want to make sure i get life is strange down first probably although this may only have connections in the sense of it being a prequel of sorts um or even if it's not it might just be in the universe of life is strange i'm not really sure but if there's any sort of connection i may want to play life is strange first i haven't played any of the life is strange's yet i i've got the first two but uh i need to need to do that because they do look interesting mm-hmm 
So Kingdom Hearts 3, speaking of things that's been in development forever. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's actually got a date now. January 29th, 2019, which is amusing to me because I pre-ordered this game on Amazon on January 25th, 2015. <laughs> Almost four years to the day. That's crazy. Is it holding, are you able to, is it honoring your pre, pre-order pre price? Yep. yep. Nice. Yep. Still, uh, still is. And I think it, it actually, it applied the Amazon prime 20% discount on top of it too. So nice. Yeah. I'll take it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it looked, uh, looked kingdom heartsy. That's true. As it should. Yep. That's, that's really about all I've got to say about it. Yep. I don't have much either. Near automata coming to the Xbox. I'm happy for Xbox owners. I am too. I am too. Oh man. I know Pam hated it, but, <laughs> yep. uh, I loved it. So that's all that matters. That's Dang all it. that matters. My opinion is all that matters. Uh, well, I, you know, I loved it too. So I'll second your opinion. There we go. I, in this instance, I'll agree with you that your opinion is all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> that's the sound clip you need to take and repeat throughout the episodes. What? The one of me saying, I agree with you. Yep. I agree with you. I agree <laughs> with you. <laughs> Devil May Cry 5 coming yeah. in spring of 2019. I'm a little upset that they carry that they're carrying on the uh emotive, you know, teenage boy kind of aesthetic. I, w- mm. I was hoping that they would abandon that, but other than that it looks really cool. I I enjoy that kind of type of game, just the the sort of hack and slashy game every once in a while, just turn the brain off and go slaughter some stuff. Yeah. Shadow of the Tomb Raider thoughts uh the trailer did not do it for me no uh, I, I think it still could be cool but the trailer just didn't do it for me yeah it was very forgettable yeah it really was and i think the only memorable part was there was a scene where there's two enemy characters talking you're creeping behind a, a, a rock or something you're hiding from them and you're overhearing their speech they're talking like being cordial with each other as though they are longtime friends they've known each other for a while sure they've worked together for a while why not then uh, when one turns away, you as Laura Croft go and murder the other one and then hide again. When this longtime friend comes back to the corpse, all this longtime, char- longtime friend non-playable character says is, oh, a body. It looks fresh. So <laughs> <laughs> they might need to tweak the, uh, the AI and sort of dialogue options there a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like Tomb Raider, just the, 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 the first reboot was was pretty fantastic so i'm i'm not i think i'll still enjoy the game but uh it's it's definitely not a day one purchase for me jump force was interesting it's basically a brawler combining characters from a bunch of the sort of japanese themed um you know japanese popular properties so you've got dragon ball z you've got naruto you've got uh one piece and this is basically like a a a Marvel versus Capcom style brawler that combines characters from all of those different universes could be fun. Yeah, I enjoy partaking in a you know in a well done fighting game every once in a while. It's always good to have a host of characters to choose from. Yeah, I think it looks all right. I probably will not buy it, but uh, looks nice. One one trailer that when it started, I think this is really the last uh, the last item on our Microsoft list of of note unless you really want are dying to get into just cause for <laughs> dying light too. <laughs> no, the only thing I'll really say about dying light too is, um, uh, first of all, I was proud of myself for 
without ever having known that Dying Light 2 was in development, without, without ever having thought that Dying Light 2 was a thing, um, I was able to pick up on what game it was at the initial opening of the of the trailer. Uh, they have a, a, a blue light, essentially. In Dying Light, the, the blue light is what keeps sort of the zombies away, and that's sort of one of the unique aspects of this zombie game. And I will say Dying Light 1 was, to me, a, a hidden gem if there ever was one. I think it did okay. I don't think it did terribly well sales-wise, but it did okay. It was one of the first games I played when I bought my PlayStation 4, and I found myself having way more fun with it than I thought I would. Um, I played that game through uh, almost nonstop, like, uh, without a break, it seemed like. I played a lot of that game, and it's not really the type of game that I would normally like. There are stealth mechanics to it, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the combat is is not really... Your your weapons are generally very weak, so it takes... A, so if you do dare get close combat, uh, it's, it's problematic for you, usually. Um, but there was something about this game that really, really drew me in. And so I really appreciated it. And so I'll probably end up playing Dying Light 2 at some point. Um, so yeah, that's all I'll say on that. Dying Light was a great zombie game, but it, where it lacked was its story, right? Mm-hmm. I think, I think hopefully if they can take that gameplay mechanic with Dying Light 2 and add, you know, some compelling story to it, that would be, uh, that'd be right up my alley. For sure. Yeah. And that was really E3. Wow, we spent three hours talking about <laughs> E3. That's what the three means. Yep. So, uh, wow. So, all in all, what would you say? I was very happy with it. Um, yeah. All in all, I, the studios that I wanted to show up showed up. The studios I was hoping would show up, Microsoft, showed up. Uh, the studios I didn't really care too much about, EA, Square Enix, didn't show up. Uh, or it could just be me being predisposed to not liking or liking those things uh, relatively. So I was very, I thought it was a great E3 all around. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I got to see some things that were on my wish list, things like Starfield, Elder Scrolls Six, uh, some more Wolfenstein fun. I may have had my mind changed about Fallout 76, which I'm cautiously optimistic now to <laughs> borrow a phrase from Penny Arcade. Hopefully uh, Bethesda doesn't send me a, truck full of shit field crispy creams <laughs> beyond good and evil 2 i'm i'm in kind of intrigued wait and see mode skull and bones i'm stoked about assassin's creed odyssey obviously in love with ghost of Tsushima, last of us 2 it was uh it was it was all cylinders running for me yeah you can't say that a lot about a lot of events you know the you, a lot of times you have this hype for for oh what are we gonna see what are we gonna see what's gonna get unveiled and what what don't we know about that's gonna be awesome and um I think this this e three really checked a lot of those boxes very successful absolutely I agree well does that do about does, is that does that do it for us do you think I think so shaba 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 papa <laughs> All right. Well, for those of you who are still listening, first of all, thank you so much. You are the best kind of listener. Reach out to us on all the various social medias to talk more about uh, thoughts on E3, what you thought about E3, all that kind of stuff. And you can find us collectively at mastersofunlocking.com. You can find us collectively on Twitter at MOU Podcast, Instagram at Masters of Unlocking, and Facebook at Masters of Unlocking. You can find Scott as VG Collectaholic on most social medias. Twitter at VG Collectaholic, Instagram at VG Collectaholic, Facebook, and his website, VGCollectaholic.com. You can find myself all over the nets as Caleb J. Ross. That includes Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, website. Just search Caleb J. Ross and you'll find us. 
Uh, thank you so much, and please subscribe if you are not subscribed and you want to hear more episodes in the future. And also, please uh, leave us reviews on iTunes um, or any of the other podcasteries where you're finding this podcast. That would be fantastic. Um, and if you if you made it through two hours and fifty minutes of of our you know, mumbling about E3. You, obviously you stuck through it go give us one of those five star ratings on itunes we love those we love them a lot so thank you so much and look forward to the next episode episode 24 if my numbers are